Blog Talk Radio. Two cents on it. Um, 
you know, overall, I'm, I'm not a fan of catchweight fights, not a fan of rehydration clause as it stands now. Um, take away this fight and any other fights from the past where there was a rehydration, obviously, what is it, IBF, besides uh, undisputed or unifications, um, the IBF has that 10-pound or 10% thing. Um, I'll say this. If boxing remains as a day-before weigh-in, I wish there was a rehydration clause in every fight, pretty much, or maybe not every fight, but once you get to a, a certain level or whatever. Um, but that's just my opinion. You know, uh, it's not, besides IBF fights, it's not, that's not how it is. So there's two different ways. Honestly, I'd like to just go back to the same day weigh-in. That, that way we don't have to worry about any of this shit. Um, but we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that right, rehydration. You know, Ryan Garcia is saying one thing now, and then he has said stuff in the past, like recent past, too. Even, you know, getting interviewed around in at that presser. You know, the New York press conference, Gervonta was super late. Um, and and it was just, it just wasn't good. It was mediocre. It wasn't even mediocre. It just was no energy, basically. Uh, besides, like, uh, Kelvin Ford. You know, he had energy, but everybody else, not so much. Um, but the L.A. one was much better. Um, did the punch land or not, you know. Uh, but that was much better. A lot more energy, a lot more shit talking, and it did the trick. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about a variety of stuff. Oh, Oscar De La Hoya. Now he's kind of talking about, hey, Oscar, uh, Golden Boy Promotions, they want to work with Showtime and the PBC. Whether it's just the PBC or Showtime, um, does he really mean that? That's kind of an interesting question um, because, you know, he's now saying, yeah, I really feel strongly we can make Charlo, Charlo, Charlo Munguia, Charlo, uh, Charlo Munguia. Okay, well, that's cool, but you're the one who stopped it. You admit it. So. It, my point is, is he being, being serious about it, or is he just talking, you know? Because um, that would be lovely. I mean, you know, having with this fight-by-fight, month-by-month, whatever it is, the deal that they have with the zone, well, it's not ideal, right? So if they could ship some of their action to Showtime or work with the PBC, straight up and then be like Samson and be like others, you know, and get their fighters on these cards, whether it's BBC against Golden Boy or there's a triple header and some of those YouTube and they get to mix them, blend them in there. That would be great. I would be all for it. Al Heyman and Golden Boy, Oscar, they actually have a great track record of producing good cards when they work together, when they work together. A little bit on HBO, of course, before, but especially at Showtime for a couple of years. They, uh, it was a good blend. It was a good mix. So do I, do I think he's serious about that? Part of me thinks, yeah, I do, because their deal sucks, obviously, with, with the zone. Um, now, would he humble himself and just take a promoter fee 
and then be able to do what Samson and, and DeBella did before and other promoters. You know, TGB, what, I don't know. That one's up in the air, and some of it's I believe him, and I think he wants to do it. Other times I'm like, when you bring up the Charlo, what I call it, Charlu, Charlu and Munguia, um, it's kind of bullshit because you're like, dog, you fucking ruined the fight. Don't come now. I'm, I'm, I think we can make that. I think we can get this done. It was done, you know. So I'm kind of. It, it really excites me to hear about Golden Boy, you know, and Showtime and PBC. But I, I you know, with anything in boxing, I, I don't like to get my hopes up. But that would be a great combination, as it was for a couple of years. I mean, let's not lie. They. They caught up to HBO pretty fucking quick when it was Al Heyman and Gold Boy over there. Let's be honest about it. And even ratings, because they had Cotto and Canelo and, you know, big fights on Showtime, not necessarily always on pay-per-view. But, yeah, it'd be exciting. You know, it'd be great. But, like I said, when he says this to the media, well, actually, the internet will be was pretty funny. He's like, hey, you got to be nice, dude. And that's the thing. You... You know, he says all this, but then he says Al Heyman's, you know, the worst thing in boxing. And, and don't get me wrong. He's not the only – Bob Arum has said plenty of stuff. A lot of people have said stuff about Al, right? Of course. But is he serious about it? I don't know. Was he kissing ass all last year, which I, I get to an, to an extent with the zone, when he was trying to negotiate a deal? Because remember he said it has to be a Charlo Munguia has to be a split pay-per-view. And he even said that with Gervonta and – Ryan, it has to be a split pay-per-view. Was he just trying to, you know, make a good impression on them, saying, hey, man, I'll be loyal to you? Or was, I don't know. But either way, it's not like he got a three-year deal or whatever. It's, it's been reported that I believe it was a multi-year deal. It's not. Um, so, yeah, man, that would be fucking great. I would love it. But, you know, I, I just, I don't want to get too excited. In some of these media members that asked him, they didn't do the follow-up stuff. They didn't challenge him. They'll challenge Espinosa. At times, they challenge Eddie Hearn. Matters the topic. Um, but they didn't do a good job following and saying, well, hey, wait a second. You know, didn't you, you know, I don't know. It, it is what it is. Anyway, like I said, we'll, we'll start in the ring in just a second. If this is your first time listening to the Rope and Dope radio podcast, where the fuck you been? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Calm down. It's a joke. No. Uh, it'll stream live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope Dope radio. However, you don't have to go to Blog Talk and Rope and Dope. It'd be cool if you download the show there. But if not, that's cool. You can find it under the Rope Dope radio podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spricker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM and a host of other places. It's not just boxing, it's football and basketball, by the way. Once this uh, NCAA tournament is wrapped up, we got another month of shows for the college ball show, for those interested. Then we go to the NBA banter playoffs, just so you know. Um, while you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com and Sports News 24. By the way, I got something for you here. Get your TV together with direct TV stream without the hassle of cable. Stream the best entertainment and sports starting with 75 live channels. And for a limited time, save $120 over your first year when you get any of the packages. 
and buy the direct TV, excuse me, streaming device. No annual contracts, no hidden fees, plus learn how you get a premier channels included for three months, the first three months, with qualifying packages. That's Sign up today. That's direct TV stream. Man, I, I fucked that read up. I think that's twice in a row now. I'm losing it. I'm losing it. But anyway, um, I'm already getting messages on the rehydration. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to give you my honest opinion on it in general, right? But I'm not going to just go one side or the other, you know? Because the thing is, once you start bringing in catch weight into it, then you put, especially if you're on the B side, and he's the strongest B side possible for uh, Javante, Brian Garcia, no doubt. But once you bring the catch weight up there, the A side, when you try to catch weight at A side, rehydration's right around the corner. I'm not saying that's how it happens all the time. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I tried to mute that first one. Hold on, what the hell just happened? Anyway, um, no, but it's true, though. Like, I, I have heard a lot of misinformation in general. A catch weight doesn't always include a rehydration. I mean, that, yeah, no doubt, because I've seen people that really are just about, you know, Javante, and that's it. That's that's their guy saying, you know, you know, this happens all the time. But no, I mean, catch weights happen more than rehydration. I mean, outside of the IBF. The IBF, if you're, you know, that does, they do, you know, do the 10-pound thing or 10% or whatever, but... Um, no, catch weights can just be catch weights. I mean, they don't have to be this rehydration thing. And a lot of times, catch weights. I mean, it's a lot of different things. Sometimes, um, you know, someone will go up in weight, and then there's there's no catch weight, but there's rehydration. We've seen that plenty. Sometimes it's just a, a weight that fits someone in the middle where there's risk on both sides, uh, like uh, Liam Smith. In Chris Eubank Jr., there was some risk for Liam Smith to face someone that big at that time, right, in the, at 160-ish, but who's been fighting at 168 as well. But also, there's risk of him going down, you know. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, I do want to get into this Tim Zhu um, Harrison fight. And... Uh, you know, people are kind of all around, all over the place when it comes, what I've noticed was when it comes to the scorecards, um, the judges had it really close, 77, 75, I think all three, if I remember correctly. Um, some people said, man, Harrison didn't even win a round or just won one round or whatever. Um, I'd probably say I'm somewhere in between that. Um, I thought he won more than one round, but... Beyond, like, the first round, um, there was, you know, some, like, the fifth round and the seventh round were very competitive, right? So, I'd say the ones that Harris, the rounds beyond the first round, in my opinion, I mean, I think he won the first round pretty cleanly, but beyond the first round, any round that you gave to Harrison was probably a close-ass round, whereas... You know, for, for Tim Zhu, he, he clearly won most of those rounds that he won, in my opinion. 
So I, I didn't think it was really – it definitely wasn't up for debate as far as, you know, it being close to a draw or something like that. But um, I did give Harrison, though, with mostly the jab, couple right hands. Um, Tim Zoon now, like in the last minute, like under 50, maybe 45 seconds, did um, land uh, a couple nice right hands. Some of them landed clean, others didn't. But um, and I, and I thought he started throwing the jab late in that round, and that kind of carried over somewhat anyway. The left hook to the body, although it was affected for effective for Tim Zoo, he didn't throw it early. And I kind of thought that was smart, and I was a little surprised. I thought, all right, you're going to go to the body first. Maybe he was worried about getting countered. Um, Not to say he didn't throw the left hook. It just he was throwing it to the head. So early on in the second round, you had uh, Tony working that jab mostly. Then the left, there was a nice left hook that kind of partially landed, but then a really clean left hook after by Tim Zhu. He also added like a nice uppercut in there. Um, Tony had a, a, you know, a right hand or two. He landed this really nice right hand, but he fell in a bit after, and it was like, hmm, you're going to get countered. And I thought that there's a couple things that impressed me um, from Tim Zhu that I wasn't sure if he's going to be able to uh, do, especially against a guy like Harrison with this style, and that is, like, up-close countering, you know. I'm not saying he's got great defense by any stretch, but – he did show some upper body movement. He did kind of step to the side. He took, his, he took his time, even when he had it hurt. Had him hurt. He didn't, you know, home crowd. Didn't get overzealous. But I like how he went because I would have thought he would have started with that left hook to the body. And don't get me wrong, he caught up with the body shots. But I liked how he was, uh, you know, throwing that left hook to the head and landed a lot. Once again, um, you know, I even have a note by round three. He's having success, Harrison, mostly with the jab again, but he needs to just either throw more. Because if you're only jabbing, then you got to double and triple it. Then, because you got to keep scoring and winning the rounds. And there was a huge right hand like at, with a minute left, basically. And then multiple right hands and a left hook uh, by Tim Zhu. Easy round to score. Um, now, by the fourth round... And this is kind of interesting, too. The first round, I thought, okay, Harrison's not moving. It's a small ring for one. I think it was 18 by 18. But, you know, maybe he doesn't want to gas, right? He's worrying about gassing later. And, and it's not like Tim Zhu was just coming full throttle at him. He was he was taking his time. Although he was on the rope pretty damn early and in the corner. So he had cut off that smaller ring. But um, I thought – It was kind of surprising that he didn't start moving a little early, but by the fourth round, he was moving. He was like a tad more active, but the, you know, the the more accurate shot was definitely, like I said, with patience from Tim Zhu. Um, And I thought Tim Zhu was starting to land both hands in general, but that left hook to the head and then to the body I felt coming in. Now, the fifth round I thought was really competitive really competitive. In that round, Tim Zhu actually probably missed the most punches he had in a round. Um, he, he probably landed the better shot still, but his combinations weren't landing as clean. You did, you got more of a positive movement because it was jabbing. 
It was landing a couple more right hands. Um, it was a little bit more. I'm not saying you got to give it to Harrison. I just thought that was closer. Um, but then a close round in the sixth, I'd say maybe this is the close round that I, I gave to Tim Zoo in the sixth, but it was close. So maybe that's just one rather than the other two I was talking about before the Harrison. Um, and to me, you know, I gave it to him because he was taking his time and he was landing more accurately. He, he had a nice late slurry in the last 30 seconds as well. Um, once again, some good shots by Harrison, but just not enough. Seventh round Harrison, back to the jab. He was actually, to me, it was a close round that seventh round, and he was actually, that was probably his best defensive round, where he was making a miss, kind of like the fifth round, a little bit like the first round, but the hooks in the right hand, um, that seventh round was close. I could have gave it to Harrison, but it's close. Tim Zhu definitely landed the eighth, or, or landed. Well, he, they both landed in the eighth. But, no, he landed a, a big right hand early on. Um, there was some, like, give and take midway through. Um, but I thought Tim Zhu closed stronger in that round. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It was just like there was some short inside lands from time to time, back to the jab, you know, a couple of decent moments, but just not enough once again. Um, and then Tim Zhu, um, this was obviously, you know, we're getting into the place where it ended. And by the way, 29 to 7 to the body, so he definitely picked it up, landed 131 to 78, and 39% of his shots, just overall punches. You can say what you want about copy box. 39% of your total shots, and, and to Harrison's credit, didn't throw enough, but he, he did land 28% of his. But that, that was pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, um, you know, it was like an upper – it was like a bunch of uppercuts. You know, he hurt him with a right hand, I believe, at the start, but then it just uppercuts, hooks, right hand, knockdown, using his, you know, hooks with both shots. Like I said, there was that time where I think it was a left hook. He landed like three of them in a row. And then it got to the point where you're like, ref, uh, corner, like, where are you? Because he's sitting there on the rope, you know, just taking shots he doesn't need to take. Let's be honest about it. And, um, you know, it is what it is. So, overall, um, you know, a lot of people say Harrison's legs didn't look great. Um didn't look great in general. Did, did the, the smaller ring play something to that? Sure, maybe, but um, I don't know, because once he started moving mid to late, I actually thought he, he was starting to defend himself better. So maybe he should have just moved from the start, although I did give him the opening round. But he was, like, if you're going to save your legs, um, then you got to throw more. You know, and then also, and he's never been big on this, but he, he, he didn't tie up, especially when he was hurt. Because it's not like he only got hurt in that last round. He had gotten buzzed before. And um, to me, you know, not holding, it, it just, to me, I, that's where it's like, yeah, you're done, you know. And now, it, just in general, so a good performance. I, Tim Zhu with the counter ability, uh, I knew he had good hand speed. It was there. 
And like I said, that left hook up top didn't have to set up the, the left hook to the head. Um, and I thought he would have had to. And he showed that I'm just going to do a little bit different. So he kind of, someone said, yeah, I think it was Trill on uh, Twitter. He said, you know, it's like layers. He does keep, you're starting to see some layers. And, you know, he didn't spaz out. And, and Like when he had to go off, when he had him hurt, hurt, that's when he really pressed it. But he was continually pressing the fight the whole time. And so I was really impressed with him. Didn't get hit with some shots early in the fight that had him hurt and buzzed or on the ground. Um, yeah, I, I really liked what I saw. Um, and now, you know, it, it is one of those things. That's why this was such a perfect fight because it was like, okay, if Harrison can show what he showed in his last fight and not make it look more like the Perella fight, then that's two good wins in a row. Boom. Trilogy. Or Tim Sue gets another, you know, chunk of rounds, experience type stuff. Um, so, you know, now we got to, I think it just, it just makes more sense now as a fight. And you can't really sit there and be like, oh, he's never, he hasn't beaten anybody. You can say Harrison's washed or whatever you want. That's cool. He's definitely aged, no doubt. But like, um, and did he look great there? No, but he wasn't looking himself. But some of that had to do with the, like I said, the little ring. Okay, but some of it had to do with what Tim Zoo was doing too. So um, I liked what I saw. Didn't think Harrison looked great. I'm not trying to say that. I thought he warmed up as the fight went on, but he just didn't throw enough punches, you know, especially on the road. And that surprised me a little bit because he is pretty good at scoring points. And that's what you need to do with his style, um, especially on the road. But you know what? I mean, and just think, dude. Think about if he would have thrown more punches in some of those rounds based off how the official scorecards had it. He could have won the fight. Could have won the fight. I mean, there's no debating that based off the score. Now, did you and I have the scorecards that tight? Not everybody did. I didn't. You know, I didn't have it that tight. Um I would probably say the closest I could go was, um, yeah, I had it. I could say the five three would be the most I had it. Um, maybe it's you know five two one going into that round, you know, the, with the stoppage. But either way, um, I liked what I saw, and it really helps build this fight and. Um, you know, just fighting someone, you know, that gave Charlo trouble, especially in the second fight. He gave him a ton of trouble. Now, sure, he knocked him out, but even Castaño, if you look from the first fight to the second fight, and, and to be fair, Jermel Charlo does have some problems in first fights at times. Even that Austin Trout fight, it, maybe not the whole first fight. Well, they didn't have a second fight, but not, maybe not the whole fight, but sometimes he looks for the big shot. It's like, dude, you, you've come so far in your style. Um, don't get so much in love with that knockout power. Sometimes he does. He goes for the big shots instead of using all his skills, including the ones that people used to dog him for. Um, and that is the outside boxing ability, the jab, yada, yada, yada. So I, I really like it. I think it's a good, good fight now. It really adds to it. Um, I think he'd be great in the Barclays. 
to be honest with you, or in L.A. or in Vegas or whatever. I do think the Australian fan base will come over. I'm not necessarily calling it like the U.K. fans, but I think it'll have that vibe because he's now not just off this fight, but he's been a big deal over there. And there was some reports I never got. I tried to look at a couple different spots and contacts of people, but I never did get any kind of pay-per-view number. They were saying that it broke Australian pay-per-view numbers. I know that Australia is much like Canada where, you know, they, we think we think we get fucked on pay-per-views and all that shit. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes you do. We've got over that this last year and a half. But, like, they really do. They really, really do. There's so many fights you're like, oh, that was a pay-per-view there? Wow, dude. At what time? You know, that type of shit. So... Uh, but overall, very good fight, very, like good good performance. And uh, like I said, we'll clean up some of the other stuff um, from ESPN Plus, from DAZN. We did have some upsets. We had some prospects that looked pretty good. Right about now, though, going to go ahead and bring in John into the frame here. What's going on, John? How the hell are you, buddy? Chris, how's it going tonight? Not bad, man. Not bad. I can't complain. It's uh I love having more sunlight. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's uh, I'm getting ready lot. for that. But of course, I'm in New Jersey right now. We got hit with the we had no no snow all winter, the easiest winter of oh. all time, and until until the last week or so, then uh, we we got a little we got a little dose, uh, making making oh. up for for how easy it was all winter. What what are we talking like a, a nice nice storm then I assume? It's about maybe like. Uh, Eight inches of snow, something like that. Yeah, just a, enough to have enough to have a little taste. Right, exactly. Especially if you haven't had much, that that seems like a ton. Then. Yeah, yeah. It was it one of the easiest one of the easiest winters of all time? Of course, probably probably not much uh, in Minnesota terms, uh, even at the end. But uh, took a little bit away from that uh, easy winter. Yeah, especially to get it in March, it's always like, ah, dang. <laughs> exactly. So, it was one of those. Yeah, you're already like, all right, spring, here we come, you know? Exactly. So let's talk about the fight, and then, you know, we you can throw in any other items, uh, whether it was one of those prospects like Diego or, or one of these other guys that were fighting. We'll talk about the excess stuff um, after. But let's talk about um, – Showtime International, which that was kind of nice to have a, a Showtime International. Um, I know the start time got a little mixed up because you are on their time. Um, I was really worried that they were just going to talk that whole time, so it was nice that uh, they at least showed, uh, you know, the end of that fight. But what would you think overall of the performance? I mean, it was a lively crowd, it, you know, definitely jam-packed and all that good stuff. Yeah, I – I thought it was a you know a good performance from Zoo, but uh, I you know from my perspective, I just I do think people are maybe kind of misinterpreting quite 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 a bit of this. Uh, first of all, you know for me, and and this isn't any hindsight because I was tweeting it out before the fight, and you don't get them all right, but if you follow it enough and you analyze, you you get it right more. And uh, I like to point out the ones. You don't like to point out the ones I've got wrong, but I sometimes point out ones after the fact you got wrong where this is what I didn't think would happen and happen. 
why I'm just prefacing this one with that is this this one pretty much played out exactly the way I thought it was going to play out. And really going in was, you know, does Zoo ultimately stop him or maybe does Harrison hang on to the end? And, of course, the result ended up being he stopped him. But, you know, I think you got to get into some misinterpretations, uh, you know, starting with, with Harrison, you know, who, who he's in with. Um, you know, Harrison, credible enough, of course, has been in with tough enough guys uh, that, you know, does this tell us a little bit more about Zoo? Yes, I, I agree with that, but I think that's where people are getting confused. Uh, you're telling us a little bit more about Zoo and, and, you know, that he's for real and not a fraud is a lot different from him being this ferocious, heavy-handed monster. I've seen him now called everything from danger man to, you know, right, the, right, the right. top contender <laughs> in the division, like, you know, Pandora and Castaño just fell off the face of the earth and, and aren't worthy of consideration and that there's nobody else up and coming. Uh, like, you know, we got Ramos and Spencer are fighting in a little less than two weeks, and they're both 22 years old. You know, Tim, Tim Zhu's 28 years old. So I think there's a little bit of loss of perspective. And, you know, let me just get into more why, which is analysis, of course, in the ring, what happened in the fight. But first – you look at Harrison going in. Going into the fight, he'd been stopped three times. You know, some people differ, but I think a, not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of people who don't like Charlo especially or both of the Charlos, I, from my perspective, I thought the first Harrison-Charlo fight was a robbery. I thought Harrison was basically intimidated. He was just sticking the jab out there all fight, didn't want to engage. I agree with your take, Chris. You know, when, when really, even though they're identical twins, it's not just because they're identical twins and brothers who are fighters. It's both the way they fight. Both of the Charlos can get themselves in a little trouble when their volume goes down. I, I totally agree with your analysis there. I think that's all that happened in that first fight was I think Jermel Charlo was going along and thinking, you know, this guy isn't doing squat with me. He's scared to death, which that was really the way I was seeing it. He's just sticking out the jab there because he doesn't want to open himself up to anything. He doesn't really care. He wants to go 12. And, you know, I think it was one of those fights where Charlo was just going along thinking like, yeah, this isn't my most impressive performance, but I've got this decision in the bag. And they read off the scorecards and Tony Harris in the winner. And you saw Jermel Charlo quickly remedied that in the second fight when he said, I'm not going to wait on this guy. I'm going to put some hurt on him and I'm going to get after him. And Harrison folded. Uh, so, how, you know, Harrison been stopped three times going into this fight. I thought he lost the first fight to Charlo. I thought he lost to Perella, and then it was a draw. And, you know, Perella doesn't take the best shot in the world. Harrison showed absolutely no power in that fight. He showed no power against any of the better fighters he's, he's fought. I mean, just look up and down his record. I, and, and I say no power is didn't didn't hurt or drop any of the better fighters that he's ever fought in his career. So to me, here's a guy who now after this fight, after zoo takes him out, he, he could really have six losses easily in his career with being stopped four times, no KOs or knockdowns scored against any of the better fighters he's fought. I mean, to me, that's just a fact. It's not being overly harsh on Tony Harrison, but it's just what people have lost. So I think it was good for that. Yes. Yeah, zoo's not a fraud. I mean, we already, 
got some of that, which, you know, Gaucher's a credible opponent. He's overly defensive. He's been punching a little harder in recent fights, dropped Zoo. But, but again, not a puncher at all, and he did drop Zoo in that fight. Um, I felt like a lot of people maybe only, like, watched Zoo against Gaucher because, you know, they were talking about him as a heavy-handed pressure guy. I agree with, again, what you were seeing with him in this fight, where he first impressed me was the Horn fight where you saw him just countering Jeff Horn, you know, Jeff Horn crude, you know, comes forward, really not particularly talented, you know, a lot of roughhousing and just not a lot of skill. And, and Zoo just countered his head off and just kept dropping shots in on him. Uh, I think that's where he has proven to me that he's got something is probably not, you know, not the biggest one shot guy in the world. He's an accumulation guy. And when he counters you, uh, he can keep landing, 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 and then, you know, kind of open the door and take the guy out. Uh, I think in the Gaucher fight, he was pressing forward, not countering more like he usually does. You know, Gaucher is really, really defensive. Anybody that's watched him much knows that. I mean, the guy is extremely defensive-oriented, even more so than Harrison. That's the thing. That's kind of why a Gaucher even goes 12. Uh, He's more durable, too, but he's so defensive. And, you know, then Harrison could not – in this fight, I think what people were saying was improvement was more if you saw Zoo even before the Gaucher fight. He, he does he, he is pretty skilled at the countering. That's the one thing that he first caught my eye with. I mean, myself and, and I think most people really, and Chris, you usually recall this well yourself too. I mean, I know Horn opened up as a favorite against Zoo when they were going to fight. I think it might have shifted a little bit towards Zoo at the end, but I'm just saying that like, that's how much Zoo wasn't particularly rated uh, at that point, you know, at, because Horn had already, you know, had those problems with Zarafa and Crawford just handled them easily without any problems whatsoever. Um, so, you know, that's when I think in general people started looking at Zoo a little differently and, you know, rightfully so, but you still needed him to step it up some. So, you know, he, he's done that with Gaucher and Harrison, and I, I'm not knocking his performance. I did not have any problems with Zoo's performance Saturday night, but I think that people are, are putting too much weight on it with the Tony Harrison thing and not really properly looking at what that first Charlo fight was. And then, you know, okay, we all saw Harrison, Sergio Garcia, but Garcia's got no power whatsoever, which that certainly helps Harrison, who has not been durable and doesn't have the stamina. Uh, and also, Garcia had no real amateur background, very crude. You know, just because he's, he went the distance against Fondora, you know, people, I think, were, were again, putting weight on that. But I, I didn't think he was close to beating Fondora like some people. I, I didn't see that in that fight at all. I just thought Fondora chose to box. Why? I'm not really sure even to this day. But... He said after the fight he just felt like working on his boxing skills, which probably made as much sense from what I saw as that fight as any. But that all leads into what we saw Saturday night. I think it's, you know, people putting too much weight on Harrison. And, and you think if you really look at Harrison's career, and he is 32 years old, but to me, Chris, really, sure, 32, you're going to lose a little. He's been, he'd been stopped three times going into Saturday night, but kind of looked like the, Harrison looked like Harrison to me. Um, but that's why this one played out the way I figured. So, you know, Zoo was alternating the countering and, and the being aggressive. Uh, wasn't worried about Harrison's power, even though he'd been knocked down by Gaucher, because, again, 
when Harrison stepped it up, the power hasn't been there at all. Uh, and it wasn't there again Saturday night. Uh, he doesn't throw that many power shots when he's in with higher opposition. And when he does land the power shots, they just don't seem to land with much authority. And that's what we saw Saturday. So, you know, Zoo didn't seem particularly concerned, and he fought that way. Uh, but his countering was back good. I think he wasn't doing that and wasn't able to do that as much against Gaucher. And I think that's the way he likes to fight. And that's the way he's most effective. So I'm with you too. You know, like you saw that a little bit against Gaucher, but if you watch enough zoo fights, he's really not this wild coming in pressure guy. And I heard a lot of people saying that too. Now put some pressure on you, you know, comes forward somebody, but he likes to do the countering. He's not really that, wild swinging pressure the guy that's not his style either so um you know my take on it i i like to fight with him and charlo i'm interested in it like everybody else but to me you know not you know jermel charlo is 32 himself but to me if he's what he was in the second castaño fight i'm not particularly concerned about zoo being some danger guy against Jermel Charlo. I mean, I think the Jermel Charlo we saw in Castaño too takes Tim Zhu out, you know, with authority. Uh, that's my take on that. Now, he's had a hand injury. Yeah, that's probably his best lot. performance. I thought it was his best performance in his career, and I've seen him a lot. Um, he made that rare transformation, the power puncher, which you almost never see. Uh, but he has done it. I mean, in all the decades I've watched boxing, that is – very, very seldom seen, and he's got to be one of the only guys I've seen do it, but he has done it, and, uh, you know, it just can't can't be argued. The, the, guy, the guy pulled it off. He went over to Derek James, and you really saw it. You know, before that, if you watched his fights, you know, he, he was a rather dull jab guy. He was really – he had a great jab. He still has it, and uh, that's why that Castaño performance was so impressive because that was the first time, Castaño too, that I ever saw – the Jermel Charlo pre-puncher combine that boxing skill with the puncher Jermel Charlo that developed with Derek James. And that's a devastating combination. And, you know, that, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, if he fights Tim Zoo and he's able to do that again, they, then you got a guy that can jab just as good as a Tony Harrison, but then he can hit you with the power and he's durable and got the stamina. Uh, you know, that's, that's a hard package for anybody to handle. So, you know, I think if it's the same Jermel Charlo, I think I think he takes out Zoo. It's the same Jermel Charlo. Now at 32, he's coming off a hand. That's probably not a guarantee. So, you know, I think it's a good fight, and I think Zoo probably will know who he's in with, and, and probably will try to counter a bit more. I think he'll probably be a bit more cautious with Charlo. And uh, you know, Zoo. That's been the most impressive, really, thing for me with Zoo in his career. Uh, I was thinking before the Horn fight that he was just a gimmick guy, likely, and probably couldn't fight. Um, you know, the opposition was real low. And then I saw that countering, even though it was Horn, and I said, you know, this guy can fight some. Uh, and, you know, I, I've seen that since. And, you know, I, I think he's been able to hold it against some better opposition. People are calling improvement. I don't know if it's improvement. I just think it's showing he can do it even against guys like Gaucher. Uh, even though he didn't fight that much in that fight, but he definitely did it with Harrison. So, you know, he's got he's got some skill there. And, and his back, he had amateur, of course, you know, we know his dad, but he had amateur career, and then he stopped fighting for a while. So 
you know, that's what I was always thinking. Well, this guy didn't fight for a few years, um, but apparently, you know, you look at him fight, he does look like a guy that's got some pedigree like that. So I'm thinking he's a guy that learned enough at a, enough young ages that, you know, when he, when he got back into things, he was able to pull it out of the closet and, and get it back going. So uh, I, I think that's part of why he's, you know, of course he's got some genes there, but in addition to that, that's why he's looked good. But I think, again, like I say a lot of times, um, I know a lot of other people don't like to look at it that way, but, but I still think it helps. You know, you've you got really too many weight classes, so that to me always helps. Like, in other words, I'm not going to argue that, you know, with a 154, you know, if you have 17 weight classes that, you know, Tim Zoo's right at the top of that division, you know, after Charlo. But if you look at it in the analysis where we've got more weight classes than we need, you know, what that exactly means going forward, I don't know. We'll, we'll know a little better against Charlo to me. Um, and that's, I think, also where people, to me, have some confusion where they think, like, well, Tony Harrison got the Sergio Garcia win, and, you know, he's a top 10, 154 guy. Yeah, I'm not arguing that, but it doesn't mean as all as much, I think, as people put into it sometimes, at least if you're talking about guys who are really going to end up some of the more elite guys in the sport, which, which let's face it, that's, that's all what we, we pay attention to the whole sport, but, but those are the guys that get talked about the most. And those are the guys that both the fans and the experts focus on the most. And I think that's kind of what I'm looking at is, you know, am I, am I sold on, you know, Tim Zoo's going to be definitely one of those guys and that big of a threat to Charlo I'm not sold on that yet, but I am. I'm sold. I'm sold on he's not a fraud. I'm sold on he's a guy that's you know proven he's got some skills and some abilities. Yes, I'm. I'm with everybody else on that, but sold as danger man and you know that kind of stuff. He's going to have to show that against Charlo to me before I'm going to start talking like that. Yeah, and you know. It's it's 154, so you can mix and match. I mean, you know, several, um, you know, matchups as we know, and like just Daniel in general. Like we can't just count him all the way out, right? Like you're saying, I mean, this is he can he can still be the second best guy in the division right now. You know what I mean? So, I mean, he is exactly. on paper, you know, but like based off what he did in that first fight, and uh, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think you broke that down really well. And, uh, yeah, I'm just excited. It just keeps that going. It's got the, the youth coming up, but still the veterans holding on. And um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I'd assume after a while, you know, if uh, Jermel doesn't go to 160 straight up, he may do that to close his career for a fight or two. two maybe goes up. Who knows? A lot of that will probably have to do with his brother. But – I mean, if he could hang out, he may have to drop a bell at fifty-four. Who cares, right? If it's a bad, like, no, oh, I don't want to want, you know, I don't want, I don't want to mess with that one because it's just a bad fight or whatever. But yeah, he's got uh because that's the thing. Like, you know, as excited as some people were, if Harrison pulled this, you know, pulled this upset off for a trilogy, a lot of it had to do with the pre, you know, the pre-hype stuff because you know those two really uh, got it in on each other. But like. The Castano trilogy is not some kind of shitty fight either. Like if 
if people are excited about the Harrison uh, Charlo trilogy, they should be pretty excited if Castaño will come back and get two big wins. You know what I mean? So um, it, it would it would add to it. Like, all right, maybe he learned stuff and he, he's going to fight a little different. But um, yeah, it's either way. Fifty four, you know, just keeps on producing. Um, even a guy like Erickson Lubin, you can't count out all the way. But um, you know, he's got an interesting fight that should be fun in the ring with him in uh, Arios. But um, We'll see where that goes. Um, any other yeah, items that, I, that you'd like? Go ahead. Yeah, I thought I was just going to jump in there, Chris, because I thought it, usually I'll go on to something else, but I thought it was a good tie-in just for other items probably. And since we've got some stuff coming up, probably looking at this 154 situation, yeah, I, I got a feeling after, and you're right, it's going to somewhat rest on his brother, but I got a feeling you know, after Charlo fights Zoo. He probably goes up to middleweight 160, and then his brother probably goes up to 168. And, you know, after Benavides and Plant have fought each other and, and probably throws himself in there somewhere. Um, the question be then, you know, Castaño actually, even though he's, he's not tall, uh, he has for a, a couple of years already talked about going up to middleweight 160, I guess just because of his own problems making weight. Because I'm with you, you know, if he stayed, this is why I think people are forgetting, you know, even though Zoo's fought good, is kind of, I think that they're discounting. Let's say, even in my scenario, if Charlo goes up, but Castaño says, well, there's some openings there, some fights, I'm going to stay at 154. Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought he did enough to beat Jermel Charlo the first time. And then, as we said, I, I thought Jermel Charlo came back in the second fight with the best performance of his career. To stop Castaño looked absolutely tremendous, put together all his skills. But, you know, that doesn't mean you should count out Brian Castaño. You know, he just has to draw with Laura a fight, you know, and then the Charlo fight, the first one where he could have maybe gotten that call and he didn't. And then, you know, a loss to Charlo, no shame there. You can't count him out, even, you know, certainly not against a zoo. Uh, and, you know, PB, I, to Zoo's credit, now, I didn't get to add, let me add, I do agree with everybody that, look, I do respect Tim Zoo for going with PBC and taking on the challenges. I mean, he, he didn't have to do that, I agree. I mean, so that I have all respect. Yeah, he could have just kept I mean, building his name and, and having him come there and be like, all right, we'll just force you here. Yeah, and with the WBO politics, he, he could have just stayed in Australia and done some WBO politics and, and gotten an alphabet belt. He, he didn't take that route. I really do respect that like everybody else, so I'm there. He, he, he took that to his credit, but hey, let's face it. He was probably savvy in terms of it's harder money, but in the long run, it's probably more money too. So uh, he, he took a risk to make himself some more money, and, and that I think he's going to pull off. Uh, so let me just throw that in quick, but getting back to the 154, yeah, so like Castanio, you can't count, and Castanio's got the amateur pedigree too. Uh, you can't count him out. And then, you know, look, Sebastian Fondora, in terms of what package he brings, he, he's a freak. He's like a once-in-a-lifetime freak. I mean, you know, to me, you know, even though Zoo got this knockout over Harrison, I mean, you know, Fondora does have the one draw on his record to Clark, but still outside of that, I mean, that Lubin fight was fight of the year, and he, he showed about everything in that fight and, and stopped Lumen. Um, you know, the height. I mean, you know, Zoo's 5'9 at best. I mean, you know, think of trying to match up with Fondora. I mean, you know, Zoo's countering helps some there, but just, just physically, I mean, that's a 
that's a very difficult matchup. I mean, you know, Fondora is capable of just running through you with those ripping uppercuts. So, uh, I, you know, I, I to, to me, he's already being counted out a little too much already for for what unusual package he brings. So, got to talk about him right there. And then, you know, something, you know, Lubin, you're, you know, Lubin's got the skills and some pop. I, he fought with tremendous heart against Fondora, hung in there taking shots maybe even more than I thought he could, but you still wonder a little bit about his durability, and he took a lot of shots against Fondora. Um, but then I think you know, a lot of people aren't going to like it, but I think you need to look at it. You know, coming up in less than two weeks, you know, you, you've got Jesus Ramos has already, you know, picked up his opposition some. he got got very good size for the weight. He's only 22 years old, just turned 22, and you got Joey Spencer fighting him who just turned 22. People, a lot of people, I think just because he's with PBC, they don't want to take him seriously. Uh, that's just their thing. But, you know, he comes off the Salgado win a step up. You know, and remember Salgado had a draw with Corella. Uh, you know, and, you know, I think like you pointed out, you know, Harrison, excuse me, uh, Spencer, you know, the kind of the flaw that he, he's kind of kind of not fighting to entertain right now. I've seen that in him as his career has progressed, but I think he's good at what he's doing. I mean, he, he seemed to me to kind of want to emulate a bit of a Floyd Mayweather with boxing. And then, you know, he's got the power. I, I think the power really is there with him, uh, but, but he prefers to box and I thought he might go away from it, but I, I can see now he's not going away from it. So, you know, I, I think he's going to try to box Ramos, but you know, you look when Ramos fought uh, Molina who had a, good amateur career no pop but he is kind of a boxer you know you saw Ramos have a little more trouble so what I'm saying there is you know these two guys just 22 years old I mean they're six years younger than Zoo and I I don't think it means when I talk about that I I don't think it means you got to wait on them either I just think it means that's kind of the way sport goes I mean when they're were at where they are at age 22 that means they've got more upside I mean, and that doesn't mean way long-term upside. It means it could be quick. You know, there's more there's more room to to be better, to show you're better. So, you know, when you've got two 22-year-old guys at 154 like that with those levels of potential and upside, and they're going to fight, you know, in less than two weeks, I mean, maybe one guy spectacularly emerges. Uh, and, and here's what I'm looking at, like, Let's just say one of those two guys emerges spectacularly in less than two weeks. Would I pick them over a Tony Harrison? Of course I would. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to get to perspective now with, like, where Zoo just got this win. And, you know, because PBC can make these fights too. And then let's say it's a, it's a barn burner or something, or even if it's not that exciting, they both show some skill and it's close. They both, you know, maintain their status type of thing, and then they'll have fought each other. Uh, you know, I, I think you gotta you gotta look at those two guys uh, if they both look good, or if one blows the other out or something like that, or dominates the other. Then certainly you gotta look at that guy as somebody you gotta keep an eye on that that shouldn't be counted out. You know, for the top of that mix. So, um, you know, I think there yeah, I think there's some some interesting stuff going on there, and I I think Tim Zoo made the right move participating in it, um, like it or not. You know, PBC's pretty much got that whole division on lockdown. So, like you and I say, though, let's have these good in-house fights first. You know, we'll, we'll take the good, great cross-the-street fights, but, you know, that that's a bunch of them that can be made easily. So, uh, 
you know, let's let's have some of that. There's some there's some uh, good good stuff uh, potentially coming up there that uh, that PBC can deliver. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, any other items that you'd like to uh, talk about from the weekend? You know, there there were a handful of fights that I was able to watch. Um, the Yoka Taktum and a couple other ones, like I said, some prospects uh, that were in action. Any any yeah, anything did, from the weekend? Yeah, you did remind me because I, I did watch them. I mean, that was a day that it was available, and a lot of it wasn't great stuff. But, uh, you know, Diego Pacheco, he's, he looks up and down to me. He, he looked good blowing out Cullen. I mean, it's not that Cullen's anything special, but I thought maybe, maybe he might hang around a little longer. I don't think you can take too much from it, but uh, he's looked, he's got a high KO percentage with the lower opposition, which, you know, with a good prospect, you will see. I've, I've seen times he's looked real good, times he hasn't looked as good. He's still young, so, uh, you know, saw that. I'd like to see him step up. Uh, I did see Yoka to calm, and, uh, you know, that was one where I think the calm was, he was obviously in shape, but I think he was just kind of kind of go in there and make a credible effort when I was looking at the first couple of rounds. And then he saw Yoka just doing nothing, you know, just bringing the very little he did against Bacoli. And Takam was enough of a veteran to, you know, kind of say, hey, you know, you know, I'm a decent shape. If this guy's not going to bring anything to the table, I think I'll actually try to win this fight. And he just started, Right, I'm just winging these right it. hands. Right, right. That's all he was doing. He just started winging a couple of wide shots every round with authority, and Yoka was just doing absolutely nothing, and it just went on like that. And I'm with everybody else. Takam ended up clearly winning the fight, but again, same thing there. I mean, Takam is 42. He'd, he'd always fallen short against better opposition before that throughout his career. Um, I don't, I don't, you know. It was kind of – it's almost like one of those ones you'd like to see him retire. You know it won't happen uh, on a high note. But I, I don't think this means like – you know, to me, does he have anything for Jared Anderson? No, I still think he gets violently knocked out. and that, That's why I hate to see sometimes guys like that keep going at that age, um, even after this big win. And Yoka just – look, you, boxing, I always say, it's the toughest sport with that understood within that perspective. You know, he just looked like a guy that doesn't want to be there. And you know, if if he, you know, I mean, I'm sure all boxers, it's not it's not fun being in there. They talk about love of the sport. You know, people talk about love of the sport and stuff, but you know, you're literally risking your life, taking shots, t- taking the pain, and you got to have the stamina at the same time. So, you know, it, it's not fun. It's not actually fun in there, but for anybody. But you know, Yoka, again, with that that understood, I mean, he he just looks like he doesn't want to be there. So. You know, he's, I mean, it's already looks like he's made up his mind in that sense. He looks like a guy that doesn't want to be there. So he, he's got to give a lot of thought as to um, whether this wants to continue. And, you know, I like Virgil Hunter, but, but you do have to comment, like, you know, he, he's been with them you know, in these last couple of fights, and these performances have been terrible. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure what, what they're going in with or what he wants them to do. Um, it seems like later in these fights, he's maybe he's told him a little more what he needs to do, but but earlier in the fights, he's kind of not been in touch with what's going on in there. So that hasn't worked out too well. So uh, not not uh, you know not not very good uh, not very good stuff there from Yoka 
Um, and, you know, here's a guy that was an Olympic gold medalist. It, it, it is shocking in that sense. Um, it is shocking in that right. sense. But he, he, he started to – really before the Bacoli loss and the fight or two before that, he started to not look good because he, he had blown out a couple of guys early who, you know, veterans like Duhapas that, that for where he was at, that wasn't bad. But, you know, then he had – Couple, a real dull performance. It was, uh, you know, and then then you know the, the Bacoli disaster, and this was just an absolute disaster. And, and then you know we talked about it with the Bacoli. This, you know, I, I think sometimes people overblow it, but but I'm with everybody else. You know, the scorecards with him against Bacoli, and then him against the Com, that was not like subjective, like where, you know, anybody could say, oh well, you know, I you know. It was just a subjective thing. Either guy could have taken that round. That those two fights, that really was not like that. I mean, those were just those were just atrocious scorecards. Where you you got to say what what the hell was what the hell was that about? Because you know, especially even more with the Bacoli fight, that, there was just no case for Yoko. Yeah, that wasn't round. a well six four for either guy. You know, no. Uh-uh. Right, right. This wasn't. I mean, like where where even you know if you like, I'll even give a benefit of the doubt sometimes, like. You know, if 10 rounds are close, this is where people go crazy, and sometimes it's not fair. Like, if 10 rounds are real close, and, and it really a judge gives them, has a 10 nothing. I mean, that's not necessarily horrible judging. You know, you're looking at, like, close fight, but the judge just happened to give all 10 close rounds to one guy. But, like, these Yoka fights, like, these weren't, like, these weren't, like, four close rounds that, you know, could go to Yoka. They, they just weren't. These were rounds he was just losing in, in both these fights, especially the Bacoli fight. And, you know, one judge had him winning this one, and, and those those Bacoli cards were just atrocious because in the Bacoli fight, he was just hurting him too. I mean, you know, Bacoli was hurting him. He, he had him about to go. Um, so, yeah, the, both of those were in France. So those were those were not those were not good. So you, you do have to keep you do have to keep that in mind because those were those were uh, those were unusually. Uh, Unusually bad, um, but uh, I think that I think that pretty much uh, pretty much wraps it up. Uh, except even like you know, Hearn. Well, you might as well mention it for the comic relief. You know, I even turned it on early enough Saturday that I mean, Hearn. He's got Campbell Hatton out there. I mean, look, he may be a nice guy, you know, and he's getting in the ring. Everybody in there takes the risk. But with all that understood, again, the guy can't fight. I mean, he can't fight. And you've got commentators saying he's going to become a very, very good fighter. And they put him in with these guys that can't punch, that have – this guy literally he fought Saturday had no KOs. I mean, right. the guy He's making fight. strides. Guy... You can tell he's improving and all this stuff. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, at least he's not the co-feature now, I guess. Right. I mean, all I can say is – all I can say is this is what's funny about what people pay attention to. I, I got to laugh a little bit at myself because maybe maybe Eddie Hearns got the joke on me because even though he can't fight with this crazy story, nobody can't fight. I'm watching it. You know what I mean? I'm sitting here in the U.S. at 11:30 on a Saturday morning and I'm watching Campbell Hatton. <laughs> I'm true. laughing at myself. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's like Hearns got the joke on me. You know, so so that then I I do get a laugh too. You know, this Johnny Fisher he puts on there. 
you know, I thought he might be. I thought he actually might be getting a hair better, but I I didn't see it Saturday. But I know we're going to keep seeing him, so I, I figured I would mention there. And he's only twenty two at heavyweight. So and, the, and you know, the Brits have had the the great recent heavyweight history. I'm not saying Fisher is going to be in with it. He's got no amateur pedigree, but he he's out there bombing away on these cards. So what the heck? I saw it, so I I'd figure uh, I'd throw it in there. But that about sums it up for the weekend for me. And then we, we do have a very light weekend coming up. Um, the names that stand out who are fighting, uh, Gilberto Ramirez and Jean Pascal. That's what's standing out this weekend. Uh, Jean Pascal is actually now available on ESPN+. Plus. Um, you know, whatever. Nice fighting, basically like, you know, a uh, prospect contender range guy. Um, who I've seen fight, I think, twice. Um, any, any, any talk about what's going on this weekend or, or any kind of other item? It does seem like uh, Canelo and, and Ryder is official. Um, that's kind of like, you know, we knew this fight was going to come, so it's not a surprise. The only thing I do like about it is that he's fighting back in uh, Mexico. You know, that, that part of it's cool. Uh, but other than that, you know, it is what it is. We'll see what he does in September if he does, in fact, fight Bivol at 168. Uh, but, yeah, any other items that you want to talk about? Uh, we now know at least it took forever, basically. It's funny, like, the, the WBA had, you know, said after, so this is back in September, Canelo Golovkin 30. They had 10 or 20 days after that Golovkin did, uh, you know, and then the, the IBF or the WBA is like, that's fine, we'll just let him do the IBF, you know, even though that was the ruling, of course. And, you know, here it is mid-March, and finally, you know, he, something happened. So he did drop the belt or whatever, but any any items that you'd like to discuss at all? Yeah, just briefly, I, I, I mean, I don't say this often, but, you know, he, he's given us a lot of, uh, you know, at least excitement with giving his best effort and things, but, you know, this this, uh, this Zerto Ramirez Gabe Rosado is a, is a horrible mismatch at this stage. Uh, it, really, I, it shouldn't be. I mean, I know he just it, came it, off a loss, but come on. Yeah, it, it should not be happening. This shouldn't be happening. I don't like this. This is one of those ones that goes too far. You know, I was saying it with, and it does for me in like the same category, like Fury Chisora three, and that was horrible. That was a horrible beating. I didn't feel comfortable watching it. Um, didn't feel comfortable when the fight got signed. This, this is like that to me. You know, so this is too you know, within the space of like the last year, you know, a little higher profile, this just shouldn't be happening. I mean, this really, this should not be happening. I, it, you're really at a point where you just hope Rosado doesn't, doesn't really take a serious injury out there or a serious beating. Um, and, you know, he's moving up to light heavy. And even though he started at Yeah, that adds another layer to it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wow. Yeah, Gilberto Ramirez. He's a big guy at that weight, even though he started at 168. Uh, I mean, he's got like a heavyweight frame. When they talk about that for him, he just picked up a bad loss to Bivol, even though Bivol's real good, Ramirez real bad. Um, but but still, he, he's got the frame. Him him eventually fighting at heavyweight is, is actually not far-fetched. It could happen. And here he's fighting Gabe Rosado, who is a guy that started at 154 pounds, who's way, way past it. Uh, take shots. It, this, it has no pop. You know, that Beck the Bully KO was the aberration. Walked right into one. 
this this just shouldn't be happening. Uh, Canelo, Ryder, I was a little naive. I thought when DAZN raised the subscription price, since, you know, Hearn just maybe wanted to get Ryder a payday, uh, maybe have, again, the location mattered in this one, be it at the U.K. and it, or then it ended up being in Mexico, figuring that being a focus that maybe in the U.S. they would make this non-pay-per-view. I mean, this, this, this to me, even though it's Canelo, in, the, in U.S. terms, I mean, this looks DOA as a pay-per-view to me. I mean, that's, you know, with all the other pay-per-views oh, 100%. out there. Yeah. 100%. I mean, how many? How Especially many with so play? many other fights going on before and after and obviously right after or, you know, a handful of hours after, whatever. Yeah, and like I said, I you know, I wouldn't have given PBC the slack like with Benavides right. Plant without that undercard, but I thought with that fight, which is a really good fight, uh, two top guys in the division, and that, that great undercard, for nowadays that is a great undercard, I thought, okay, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, that, that's a buy. And then, you know, you got in Garcia, which is it's kind of just got to be a buy because you want to see that type of yeah. fight in the sport. And that, that's where you feel more like you are – supporting it because you're like okay i want this type of fight but then the canelo thing just doesn't fit and you know there's going to be other pay-per-views thrown out there they're talking haney lomachenko is going to pay it yeah that's going to be pay-per-view it sounds like almost for sure jesus yeah yeah no no way even boxing fanatics it's they're they're over saturating it so all these are not going to fly um not by a long shot um so yeah, we spent la- the last year and a half dogging some of these PBC ones. So I know some folks are going to come in my DMs and all that and talk about it, but it's like, hey, you know, we've had plenty of segments of this Thurman Barrio shouldn't be on pay-per-view, you know? Right, right, exactly. You know, you have to say with those, and it's over. It's oversaturation. Something's going to have to give, and I just wrap it up as saying, I do feel good like everybody else that some of these good matchups seem like they're going to happen, unfortunately, in our pay-per-view. But I think it's a little bit like you and I have been talking in recent months. Um, even though it's, it's obviously good for the boxing fan that the matchups happen, I think – and I don't think it's being negative. I just think it's reality. I think they're happening more out of desperation than demand. Like what I mean by that is, yes, demand on the hardcore fight fan, but desperation in terms of – like you and I said, we really have unfortunately reached a point in the sport, especially in the U.S., like there, there's like becoming like no even potential matchups that can really cross over into the mainstream and bring additional buyers in and things. So the sport, I think, is getting kind of desperate. Like, because I thought, I don't mind saying that, I thought really Tank Garcia was going to fall through. I think the reason maybe it has it, it's coming off is this this reason and, and some of these other fights like there's just nothing really out there that's going to attract a bigger number of buyers so that they're starting to be like forced to put these better matchups that can be made together um, which yeah that's good for the hardcore boxing fan but what i want to see is don't tell me about live gates and stuff have we gone too far where none of these fights can cross over at all into the mainstream even these big ones like tank garcia or are we going to find out that, yes, this still with these newer, younger fans who follow these guys on social media and things, that they can cross over into bigger numbers? That's really what I want to see. I want to see the dust settle after these fights from a boxing business perspective. And, you know, how good did they do? What kind of 
TV revenue. It still comes down to TV revenue nowadays, broadcast revenue. What did they bring in? Because, you know, if Tank Garcia has a big gate, but it doesn't bring in the pay-per-view numbers, it's still not really a success in terms of what you want. And that, that goes for all of these, you know, Haney, Lomachenko, you know, all of them. So, you know, they're, you know, Canelo, Ryder, they're going to throw this stuff out there. They're going to oversaturate. I'm going to have to see what, you know, some numbers, some credible numbers of success, or uh, I'm going to be concerned for the sport even with these matchups happening. Because even though I, I'm going to enjoy watching them and I want to see them, it's, it's going to be getting where it's becoming more of like a last gasp than it, than it is than it is a revival. So uh, I hope that not only are these fights made, but but that they end up uh, they end up doing well, and we don't get that pay-per-view oversaturation doesn't take too much away from it. I definitely think, you know, there's going to be some of that, that's for sure. But uh, for, for the, the tank in, in, in uh, you know, Garcia, I think that'll be successful. Now, you know, people are saying all sorts of numbers. You know, I got to see the marketing on it and all that. But um, when you look at what they, you know, if you just do the formula for tickets, prices, what's left, the resale, like it, it's going to do a gigantic game. So that, that's a good starting base. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see. We'll definitely see. Um, all right, well, I appreciate you calling in once again, John. Uh, did you enjoy the uh, hockey game last week? I did. I did. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was uh, enjoying this surge of the devil. So uh, I can go up and down with my hockey, but I didn't just bandwagon it this year. I was I was following them last year, and this turnaround uh, surprised me. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you agree, but I always felt out of all sports, I'm, I'm into all sports. Um, hockey's the one that makes the best transition. Like, in other words, it's much better at the arena than it is on TV yes. out of all the sports. Way better. I try to yeah. tell everyone, especially, you know, state of hockey here, I try to tell people, hey, just go to one. You're going to like yep. it way more than you think. And once you get there, because, yeah, it is a little – sometimes people need to see the puck, you know, just like they got to see the ball, like if they're playing, watching soccer. And, you know, when it gets hidden, you know, sometimes at the boards and stuff. Because I remember, yeah. remember like uh, – Mid '90s when Fox did that uh, that little like the puck tracker. Yeah, the puck tracker. It'd be like it'd be like green or red or whatever. You could still see it. And be like to me, that really didn't do much because it was like I know the puck's in there. We're still not going to be be able to see who's knifing it away until the the puck's away and someone skates away with it or passes it. So that was pretty funny though. But yeah, you're yeah, right. That's exactly it, right. It's, that's... it's go go go. You know, it really is live. Yeah, but that's what I tell. I'm just with you, and you're right. You're in the top hockey state in the U.S. Um, it's like Florida football up here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we got the most NHL pound for pound. Yeah, I did. I have traveled up to your region there, believe it or not. I I, I coached youth hockey for some years, and I, I did my level four oh, okay. up in. Uh, I did my level. I did my USA hockey level four clinic up in uh, up in Fargo. Um, I was going to say North Dakota for sure. Yeah, Fargo for sure. Because they don't mess yeah, around but, there either. If it had yeah, a little right. bit more population, they'd be number one, you know? Right, right. It was it was interesting. And, you know, and I've been up to Minneapolis. And uh, and, and that, the, that Fargo clinic was, was filled with Minnesota guys, both teaching and attending. So uh, 
Yeah, you, you've definitely got it there. But but I I tell people just exactly what, what you tell them. That's my always been my thing for hockey. I say game. You, you got to go to a game. It's much better in person because it is. It can be hard, especially if people haven't watched much to to try to track the puck on TV. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's the one sport that's much much better in person. So yeah, that that was uh, with the Devils on the surge, they're selling out every game, and the Prudential Center is nice. nice. Um, you know, got Shakur's fighting there coming up. Uh, yeah. I've been getting down to Prudential. I didn't get there the first few years. It's it's nicer than I thought. I mean, just even being right there in Newark, it, it kind of worked. I mean, a lot of times you talk about these things and they don't work, and I was really skeptical too, but. It's worked. I, I really, you know, when I go down, I'm like, like this worked. I mean, I, I got to give the right. people who work credit. Did they have that. any, like, did they, did they like over the loudspeaker talk about the fight or did you see any like posters up or anything? Or was it just like, nah, that's, it's the game. They had posters up all over and then they had, nice. um, then they had like upcoming events. They were, uh, right. they were flashed upcoming events up on the score on the big scoreboard. So, uh, yeah, there, there oh, was some. There was, awesome. pro, there was yeah, there was some promo there, and and that was the biggest poster up at the uh, at the ticket box office. I already had my ticket pregame, but as I was sure. going through the box office pregame and then by the team store, the, the Shakur posters were all up there. So I was happy to all see right. that. That feel good because it is a good traditional boxing area too. So it, you it can kind of revive. Is. Yeah, you can kind of usually you got to be those. Polish though. <laughs> right, I know, and I'm Polish on my mother's side. I'm Polish on my mother's side. And this was, you know, those all ethnic groups, of all ethnic groups, ethnic groups, races, you know, you have that Northeast yeah. boxing tradition. But it's not like it was, but it was always right, yeah. deeply ingrained. So I like when they call upon it. That's like when Shakur fights in Newark. I mean, they, they know how to call on those. They know how to call on those ghosts like that, and people can kind of feel it. So I like when they do it. Yeah, yeah. you've seen the Polish – You've seen the Polish and Polish-American crowds. You've seen him building, you know, Shakur up. I, I think he's going to do real good there, too. I think that's going to keep yep. getting bigger. That's like nice. I said, that Prudential's just a better fit there than I expected, and I think bringing in him in there is real smart. I think the people I think the people definitely respond. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like seeing it. I'm actually that, – now, that's one just because of what we're talking about, and it's not pay-per-view. I'm a little curious how the live gate does of that because it's helping build interest on Shakur Stevenson and and his ESPN ratings for what we get nowadays have kind of been surprisingly high like you, you see him going up so um, it's yeah I, I'm, I'm interested in that for those perspectives it's not a pay-per-view event let's face it the opponent's terrible um, so you know we'll see I'm curious to see if, if they I think they can get a pretty good crowd in Newark for that so I'm, I'm a little, that's coming yeah. up just in a less than a month i guess yeah so we'll see how that does but yeah i can report in on that so that that was interesting there we have it all right thanks a lot johnny have a good night all right chris great talking with you as always have a good night i got west virginia winning round one too all right well i've, I've been even though i'm a west virginia fan and, and a love with my uh law degree I, i've been going back and forth on that one so you make me feel a little better saying that because it's like two the spread's like two and i'm like man that's a tight one those are those are pretty comparable schools a lot of times so uh i'm glad yep. to hear you say that you make me feel a little bit better so thursday at twelve fifteen. there we be it. all right take it easy go uh, mountaineers uh, go let's all go right. mountaineers all right there we care. go
Yeah, I think what they've done in the last chunk of games uh, does it for me. Um, I just think that they lost to Kansas in the, in the Big 12 tournament. Oh, well, that's not the craziest thing. They almost beat them. It was like 72 to 70. They beat Iowa State. Didn't they beat, like, TCU or Kansas? Or Iowa State, I think it was. Anyway, let's get back to uh, boxing here. Uh, just real quick, we're going to bring in Carcino in just a half a second. I, I felt the same way with uh, Tackle. I mean, he just, the looping overhand rights, um, some right hands to the body. He was just launching them, you know, just launching them. Um, and then he started, you know, like I said, working the body with both hands. Um, Yoka just never had any really, you know, sustained uh didn't have any sustained success, really. I did think that that uh, McGowan, I thought he got screwed. That's a draw. I didn't think. I thought he won the fight. I thought he won the fight on that card. And then the Dan uh, Aziz, um, I thought, you know, he's a fundamentally sound guy, um, accurate. He's, um, he's just effective. You, you know, uses his jab in a variety of ways, uh, likes to throw the lead right hand, or he can counter with it, really good with the uppercut as well. Um, some of his uppercuts are a little far away, I would say, uh, much like Diego, actually. But he looked good. He looked good. Um, and on to uh, Pacheco, Diego against Jack Cullen, you know, for me, back to the jab. He was using that really, really well. Um, landing that straight right hand. Um, sometimes the right hand, I think it has to do with his positioning and his footwork. Sometimes the right hand can come off a little arm punchy. Definitely has a good straight right hand left to the body. Like I said, um, and that's actually, I think it was, yeah, it was the left hand of the body that dropped him in the fourth round, followed him up with the jab right hand. Hit him with a jab, really hard jab, and then two right hands, it was done. So it was a good finish, took care of Jack Cullen. Uh, Diego looked pretty good. Like I said, at times, I don't know, his positioning is kind of strange when he throws uh, punches sometimes. Uh, I think it really has to do with, the, you know, the positioning and just the footwork in general. Sometimes he kind of uh, – it kind of squares up a little bit. And like I said, some of these right hands, it, it's like they just don't come off uh, correctly. But he's, you know, he's definitely a, a pretty – you know, fundamental fighter. I like what I see out of him, no doubt about it. And then we had uh, Foley and Davies Jr. I watched that one, too. I thought Foley was uh, countering really well over uh, Davies' jab. The The first few rounds, it was like the fighters were kind of circling each other a lot. Second round, or the first, <laughs> first few rounds, first round, round and a half, because the thing only went, what, third or whatever, um, it was a big right hand that dropped Davies in the second round. Then he landed like a jab in like a roundhouse. And uh, Davies looked like he had already kind of hurt his ankle a little bit when he went back after that second round uh, knockdown in the corner. The, his corner was like, what's up with your ankle, you know? Um, so I think he would have finished it anyway. You could tell he couldn't put much weight on it. But that was a good performance, too, for Foley. Very, very good, I thought. I thought that was really good. Um, that about wraps it up on that one. I, I don't think there was too many other, uh, let's see. 
Um, yeah, that's about it from that card um, as far as going into detail and whatnot. Like I said, we do have a Thursday night fight on ESPN Plus. They just picked it up with Jean Pascal and uh, Michael Efert. I've seen, like I said, I've seen Efert um, a couple times. Like I, I saw his last fight. You know, he fought uh, Berandio or something like that. I can't remember. The dude was, uh, I think he's like a one-loss guy. Um, you know, he's still, to me, like prospect-level stuff. You could make an argument, Jean Pascal, you know, should have retired a while ago. But, you know, he was doing good. He's been doing good lately. So, and then, you know, Gilbert, uh, Gilberto Ramirez and, and uh, Jojo Diaz, um, um, couple other fighters returning to this week. We'll talk a little bit about that. But right about now, let's bring in Carcino. What's going on, Carcino? How the hell are you doing there, my friend? Oh, I'm doing all right, man. Hanging in there. Glad I could make the show. That's all you can do is hang in there, right? What's the weather like yeah. down there? You guys, is spring uh, trickling in down there in Chicago, or is it still no, kind of shaky? It's about Chicago spring, about 40 degrees, you know. Right. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's yeah. good. And then next it's a nice know, day, 42 snow. degrees. It's nice out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, wow, this is spring. Everywhere else, they'd be frozen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's funny how, like, yeah, a that's... sunny day, a sunny day will be like, Oh, it looks nice, and then you go up there, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, it's crisp, but then, like, an overcast day kind of keeps whatever heat you have in. It's funny in the winter how that sunny day is very misleading. Oh, I got yeah. almost blinded today because we just got a fresh, you know, like, maybe inch of snow or whatever, so it's, like, super white, and when that sun reflects off that ice, too, I was like, whoa, I walked out the house to my car like, damn, dude, my eyes are, and I almost blinded myself, then all of a sudden I was fine, but. But yeah, that's how spring in the Midwest goes, dude. Uh, doesn't it comes slowly? It teases you. Yeah. Um. So we had a fight with Tim Zhu and Tony Harrison, and this was the fight to set up uh, a, a fight, either a trilogy uh, between you know Harrison and Charlo, or a fresh fight with Tim Zhu and uh, Jermel Charlo. Tim Zhu, you know, looked pretty damn good, did his thing. Um, what did you think of uh, the performance? And, you know, kind of preview the Charlo-Tim Zhu fight. And also with Tony Harrison, you know, that message that he, he posted, it did seem like he's really thinking he's going to hang it up and just, you know, start training more boxers probably. But um, obviously he could be in gatekeeper mode if he wanted to maybe get a decent win, another win, and then get a big big enough fight. But I don't know. Um, at this point, every time he's lost, the way he's gotten stopped, um, I really wish the ref or corner would have jumped in so he didn't have to take a, a couple of those last shots. Jesus. But what did you think overall of Tim Zhu and how the fight went and then, like I said, the Charlo uh, Zoom matchup? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into – to that too, because I do want to get into that uh, Macaulay fight. Uh, that was very interesting. But uh, yeah, let's get to the Sue fight. Now, going into this, this was already tailor made. They knew Sue was going to win this fight. Now, Sue, who came off that, you know, getting caught and dropped 
But in his last fight, uh, who was that? I think he fought. Uh, Gaucher? Yeah, Gaucher. When he got caught by Gaucher, I'm like, man, Gaucher dropped him? I'm like, I was stunned. Like, when he was getting rocked by Gaucher, so I was like, wow. I didn't think, like, he would get caught like that. Then I see that's when they were talking about the matchup, putting him in with Jamel. You know, I don't know what it is about PBC and them trying to just keep the belt and just buying the belt because Jamal Charlo has not defended the belt, has had a fight basically in two years, and he's still the, the champion somehow. And I'm like, I don't even understand it. So that doesn't even make sense to me. But uh, Jamel, the fact that they wanted to put that fight together for a long time, like they, this has been on their uh, their resume, they schedule, they, the Harrison, they knew Harrison wasn't going to win this fight. They basically got Harrison off the couch and gave him enough money to take the fight because they just knew Sue was going to win anyway. And even if it went to the cards, Harrison wasn't going to win. They want to put that, – that's too tricky of a fight for Jamel, uh, having him back in there with a guy who really was outboxing him. So – you know, and just hope he catches him again. You know, you don't want to go through that again. So definitely this is the fight that they feel is more interesting. Plus it favors Jamel. Jamel's heavy-handed. But breaking down this fight, uh, from the first round, I'm looking at the balance of of uh, Harrison, and he looks drained. Looks like he killed himself to make weight. And he looks super light in the ring. He didn't look like he rehydrated right at all. It looked like if he was just standing still and you pushed him, he would fall over. Like his balance was off. And every little jab, even when he was throwing his jab, it looked crisp. It looked like it was sharp and everything else, but his reflexes was shot. Like his reaction time was so late to everything. I'm just like, he's off. Like everything is off. And this was round one. And I'm seeing him just, you know, he's throwing the jab, but he's not really slipping, like, just basic jab that he's seen coming back. He wasn't really – if he didn't duck it all the way or get out of the way, he was, like, late, you know, with the reactions. And that's why I'm like, wow, that was – it's not normal from him. And he wasn't moving. That's another telltale sign of someone's weight drain, the movement. Tony Harrison normally gives you a lot of movement in a ring. Like, he's circling the ring, he's boxing you. He's not just sitting in one spot. And this is from the round one. He's basically sitting in a spot for a long period of time in one spot. And I'm like, wow, he's just sitting there, and he's boxing and standing. You know, no, nothing really happening yet, but he's there, you know, in that box. And Sue fights a lot like his father sometimes, but he doesn't he doesn't know how to mask his punches well like his father did. His father knew how to change the angles by bending his knees, uh, setting up different like angles to land his shot. He's not as hard of a puncher as his father either, but his father said knew how to set up shots a lot better than he does. He has the more height and more athleticism than his father. But I think he need, he would benefit more from he's he's baiting a 
he's baiting Harrison to come in so he can catch him with a counter, which is dangerous because he's got his chin in the air and he's got his chest exposed and he's kind of parallel. And he's trying to catch him with a shot that he can't see coming from under like a hook. Or he catch him with one hook and come with a double hook and try to catch him on the chin while he's looking directly inside. He's not going to see the punches coming in. That's okay. You can get caught like that a lot. I've seen a lot of fighters uh, fight that style before. It's like the, the invites open the door. The door opens offensive fight where the punches are coming wide and they're coming over the top of the guard. Um, I've just felt like Sue style is more athleticism, but I don't see the power. I really don't see the power. I see he he was great tonight. I mean, he stayed right over the left shoulder, kept winging the shots over the right hands was landing, but it was more to me what Harrison seemed like he couldn't do anymore. It's like he could throw a couple of jabs and shots, but he was getting countered. And when he got counted, after every punch, he was, like, affected. He fell back into the ropes. He tried. You know, he landed some shots, but it had no effect. Like, he was – the fight was over rounds ago, and I was just like, well, he might go to the cards or it's going to get stopped late. And sure enough, he got stopped in round nine. I was like, wow, I figured this was going to be a late stoppage. But, uh, yeah. You're right, though. Tim Zhu is more of a chop chop the tree down, keep with the smart pressure, not overwhelming, but very accurate. Uh, I was, I did, I was surprised at the counter, the the ability to counter and the left hook was landing early to the head where usually he sets it up uh, to the body left hook. Um, But yeah, you're right. He doesn't have that one punch power per se, but then when it was time to close, he definitely still was effective and patient, but he was letting his hands go then. Yeah, yeah, he let his hands go. I mean, it's going to be a, a, a fight. This is what they want. You know, this is a fight that they feel Jamel would prevail in. You know, a guy who's not real a big puncher, who they feel Jamel could hit him and knock him out. This is what they want to see. And I don't know, you know, we might get surprised if maybe his style would turn the fight around. But... I I really uh, I'm you know I'm gonna watch that, but I want to give a shout out too to Sean Craddock, who's now a uh, you know Sean from Boston Socialist with us. Yep. And yeah, Sean is now a um, an official for uh, USA Boxing now, so he actually judges oh, nice. the fights. Yeah. Congratulations, so he's, he's man. Yeah, I have yeah, to Sean, a little bit more active. I didn't know it was official, though. That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, he got his uh, license and everything. So, yeah, I'll send it to you so you can see it. But, yeah, he's got, like, over Dope. 400 fights in already that he's officiated. Yeah, and he's only been doing it for, like, two, three months. <laughs> so he's down in That's Texas dope, right man. now. He's got a show this weekend coming up. Like, every weekend in Texas, there's fights, like, everywhere yeah. in Texas. And especially Houston. It's like so many gyms, it's crazy. And then they have amateur fights like every night. So they, you'll go through, if you do a whole weekend, you're basically doing like maybe 50 fights. Well, I bet, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. and they're 
so quick too if they're amateur. That's dope, man. Oh yeah. So yeah, he's That's been kind of one, one of my uh, retirement keep me busy. I want to judge. I want to judge. Yeah, that's what I want to be doing. a judge. He's, like, he's in about eight more years. He's going to retire. And then this is what he's already been working his way up to. He's already passed his test. He renewed his USA boxing uh, license because, you know, he used to box amateur and all of these things. Uh, so Sean's all, always done that. So his thing is Look now. Good for him, you know, man. Congratulations. Because, yeah. Yeah, and I, and awesome. it's so easy. Now. They they just letting anybody in. I'm like, Sean, they let yeah. you in, they let anybody in. Because I'm like, you sure? They I have looked into it. I'm like, oh, this is doable. It's basically you got to put in the work, and that, and then you're you'll get in. Just just put in the work, you know. Oh yeah, and I'm like, man, you start Sean, the amateur level. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is they gonna do a conflict of interest of you making videos talking about fighters and then you're scoring fighters? Like, no, they don't care. Right. <laughs> they were just like, there's so many guys there that's burnt out. Be like, look, I don't want to go over there. Just say, dude, they're just happy someone <laughs> in their middle age wants to do it, not some old people, you know? Oh, yeah. So they, they actually tested him and see how he did, and he's got, like, one of the highest percentage. So they actually sending him out to, like, San Antonio to do this whole, like, tournament, and they uh, full nice. pay for his hotel. And everything, right. plane flight, and yeah, they sending him out. He did such a good job roughing the fight. I mean, of scoring the fight that they said, man, okay, you can go out and, uh, you know, you can go out and uh, do this now. You know, they flying him out there to this tournament. So I said, wow, they already paying stuff for you and get putting you in hotels. I'm like, oh, that's great. So, but yeah, he's he's excited for it. But I don't know how I'm like me. I wouldn't want to rough the fight at all because I can hold my emotions. I, I'd be like, that's bull. Right, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, that's yeah that I can't. I'm not putting that down on my car. That was a knockdown, you know. Right. <laughs> I'd be yelling at the judges. Saying shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bro, you scored that with 10? He didn't land a damn punch. How'd you give him 10? I'd be, <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, they wouldn't want down, ref. That was I'm not marking that shit. Yeah, I'm like, okay, when when Al Heyman come up to you and say, hey, I need this my guy to win or look good, make sure my guy looks good tonight. <laughs> I'm like, what you gonna say then? <laughs> you gotta have to score that fight for Al's guy or what? <laughs> That's gonna be something. But um, yeah, man, uh, looking into that. I'm thinking uh, I'd say Charlo wins initially probably by a stoppage. I'd say probably round six or seven. He'll probably catch Sue, and that'll be it. I think Sue's getting knocked out if he fights uh, Charlo. But I'll be rooting for Sue, but I think Charlo will take him. In like six, seven rounds, he might catch him with something heavy. And I think yeah, I that's going to turn. I think it's a good fight, but I, I do favor him. The one thing about uh, Mel, I thought he came off his best performance as a pro, but we know sometimes he falls in love with the big shots and doesn't end up landing enough punches to win enough rounds, per se, sometimes, like he did in the first Harrison, like he did against Castaño the first time. So there, there is that. 
But I think it'll be a competitive fight. But I, like you said, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm with you there. I do think he'll win. And I do think he'll stop him. I guess we'll find yeah. out how good a set of whiskers he's got. That's for sure. So, yeah, because Castaño, the thing with Castaño is uh, his situation was different because the first fight, he didn't, he couldn't time it. He couldn't figure out his rhythm till late. So I knew if they had a rematch, he was stopping Castaño. He he figured out his Yeah, because he hurt him a couple times, remember? And it was like, uh-oh, but he oh, didn't yeah. finish him. Right, and he, but yeah, I remember the time conversation he, we had at that. I definitely yeah. remember us talking about that. And I said, if they do this rematch, he's getting stopped because he knows him now. He he's figured him yeah. out. So I was like, if they do this rematch, I remember rematch, saying, listen to Carcino here because you know if he's saying this about Charlo's gonna win, Charlo's gonna win. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he went in and he. Uh, he came in and he pulled out the uh, the win, and it was just like we said. I was like, yeah, he figured him out. Now, the fight that everybody was talking about is, uh, um, you know, the Tank Davis and, oh, yeah, and yeah. you know, Ryan Garcia, and I'm just like, I'm like, this. when did these spectacles become – like, like this is what boxing has turned into now. It's like people talk themselves into fights. And I said, oh, my God, this is, like, unbelievable. People talk themselves into events. This don't even make sense. So I'm just like, I was so stunned to me and amazed that this is a big fight. I'm like, How? Ryan Garcia has fought one credible opponent. Well, Duno, I'll give him credit for Duno. Duno has had a reputation, you know, and he got caught with a shot and he never recovered from it. But Duno is probably the only fighter I say that was like, okay, this is going to be a fight. And that's it. So he knocked out Duno. I was like, okay, and he, everything else was like setups. Not setups, but the guys were pat, way pat, like Fortuna, uh, that fight. Like, oh, that was like, this stuff is like Kate candy. Campbell was coming off of uh, a good performance against Lomachenko, but to your point, yeah. you know, he did knock him down. <laughs> so that doesn't necessarily yeah, I mean, bode well for him. He got him down because he didn't see the punch coming. He got set up for it. And Campbell right. was like, when he was an amateur, like he was looked at to be the guy. Like when he came yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah, he was looked to be one of the most dangerous newcomers, young guys in there in the game, but he just never got to that level. He just ended up becoming a gatekeeper. But yeah, he right. caught Ryan because Ryan is a, exactly what Tank says. He is a basic fighter, and right, yeah, he keeps talking true. about the true. left hook because he's left hook happy. He so he throws the combinations, but he uh-huh. he telegraphs his punches. He count. He depends on his speed and keeping opponents at the end of his punches, and he's not prepared for setups and people actually setting traps for him. And he keeps his chin sky high, and that's a yes. that's an era that a lot of the new age uh, fighters uh-huh. are doing. They, their their chins are just way in the air. They offense is they defense. 
and that that has gotten all these fighters in trouble, and they just they, they don't seem to know how to stop it. They can't help themselves. I'm like, man, they just yeah, can't help. Yeah, even with the hands down stuff, like ever since Roy Jones, I swear to God, it's like I think what people don't understand is first of all elite level, but. Unless your pops wasn't swinging a two-by-four with nails on it like Roy Jones' dad was, then you you didn't practice this shit. You know what I mean? You didn't practice what he did for all these damn years. Unless you were watching Rooster fights, you can't fight like Roy. You know? Stop. And same with Floyd. With this shoulder roll shit that you'll see in a couple opening rounds. You're like, what What are you doing, dude? You're going to get clipped. Yeah, they don't know how to do it. They haven't, you know, practiced it enough. You know, he grew up with that style. I'm like, Floyd just didn't do this for a fight camp. You know? Like, yeah, right. Like, you're not going to learn this in a camp, in a five-week camp. He's been doing it since he was born. You know, like right. two years old, they had him in some gloves and teaching him boxing. So, yeah, he's perfected this style, you know, a couple of other styles. This is his life. You know, like, this is what he grew up doing. So that's what people don't really understand, and they just think, like, oh, I could do that. And and it just don't look the same. There's so many different variations of doing that that he uses that they they have no idea. It's like he he looks at people's body reactions and to know what punches are they going to throw. And then he knows how to contort his body. That's why he works out on his exactly. core. Yeah, so he can contort his body in different positions in case he has to counter with an uppercut to the body or, you know, because if you throw it kind of high and wide, he can dip. He'll dip his shoulder and his body leans slightly, but in a position where he can throw a right hook to the body, to the solar plexus. So before you can even counter. So as soon as the shot is coming, he's already ready to time it, slip it and time it with a hook underneath. And he was catching Canelo with that. Um, and he didn't want to use that against Cotto because Cotto was training for that punch. And that would leave him open to Cotto's left hook. So he got caught with that by Miguel Cotto. So he switched the style up because Miguel kept dropping his head before he punches because he puts all his weight into his shot, but he always does a, a rhythm where he bounces like two, three times and he steps into his jab, but he always dips his head and then he steps into the jab. So the uppercut right hand over the top was the working. That was the shot, and he knew it. And he did the homework and made the adjustments. So the shoulder roll, he barely used it because he knew Cotto was prepared for it. So he barely went for right. that. And then it was the uppercut, right hook. Left uppercut, right hook. And it was like on the money. The way he the way he fit in those right hands around that guard, man, that was a thing of beauty. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just so, a thing of beauty. So in this fight though, I think Tank is going to he's gonna let Ryan Try to throw his best punches. He's going to circle, make Ryan Garcia have to use his legs in the ring, move and chase. Same thing he did with Rose. And because Ryan believes he's a big puncher, Ryan's going to have to come down to Tank's weight because Ryan's bigger. He's naturally a bigger Uh guy. 
and he thinks he's a power puncher, but he telegraphs all of his punches. And when he yeah, he really tries hook, to get guys out there too, man. His body shots look great, but like you said, he keeps that shit in the air, man. And yeah, it's yeah, gonna be fun while it lasts. And that's the thing that Oscar's not really telling him is is that you it's cool to throw the left hook, but you gotta you, there's different ways to throw the left hook. He telegraphs every left hook, and it's a wide left hook every time. Like like if you go against a skilled fighter. He knows what kind of hook you can. You got to throw a short one. You got to throw it. It's like Trinidad. Trinidad was the best left hooker in the game because he knew how to disguise his left hook. Trinidad would throw a jab. Good example, he had a straight right hand. Yeah, and and he would he would throw it on a counter punch. He could throw a left hook on a counter punch, and he'd throw one at a forty five degree angle, and you'll be like, "Whoa, where'd that come from?" and You'll think the right hand's coming, and he faints the right hand and pop, catch you with that left hook. And that's how guys are getting caught. He faints the right because he throws a laser jab, and you're getting these jabs, and he thinks he's setting you up with the right hand. And he throws the jab, and he faints the right. It's a quick shoulder. Like, he'll turn it out and dip the shoulder real quick and come with this left hook, and you don't see it because it's way out of your peripheral, and it just comes across. Wow! And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> Next thing you know, you're hit. That's why the Trinidad left hook was so, he threw it like a whip. And you didn't see it because it was so quick. And it was a timing shot. He timed it, or if you were coming in, like, aggressive, and he was backing up, he could catch you with it, wham, in a counter motion. And that's called Vargas off guard. Sometimes he'll double it to the body, hit you in the body with the left, and come up top with the left hook. It was so many different variations, but it wasn't, a lot of them weren't wide. They were tight. You got to keep those hooks tight. So if you, if you throw those hooks tight and elbows can get back in, you know, you will give Tank something to think about differently. If all you're going to do is try to outspeed him and use your athleticism, that's going to be good to round four or five. Tank is not trying to go 12 with you. You can be up five zip. It don't even matter. He touches you. That's what he feels. If I touch Ryan Garcia on the chin, he's going to sleep. Campbell barely touched him, and it did damage. And he yeah, recovered. Yeah, he went down well. hard too. It wasn't a he wasn't yeah, hurt hurt, but it wasn't a flash knockdown either. Right, exactly. When Tank hits him, he's gonna know the difference. Tank hits yeah, like that, a little. That's, yeah, that's so true, dude. It's a whole different yeah. ballgame. His shit comes to speed, too. Yeah, and I'm like, you couldn't deal with Roley. So I'm like, Roley was dogging Ryan Garcia, and he would not fight Roley. And that's why he picked Roley to beat Tank, because he knows Roley could hit hard, because they sparred, and he knows. And Floyd was like, oh, I got money for you to fight Roley. <laughs> so now that he's fighting Tank, I, I guarantee Tank is going to win by knockout. It's like, well, Tank looked like he did in the last fight. Tank will not look that way in the next fight. Tank is going to hit this kid, and it's going to be over. The whole fight's over. As soon as he hit him, he's not, gonna, he's not going to stop Tank like he thinks he is. He's gonna, if he rushes Tank or he does, he's going to try to win on the outside, get his points, 
and Tank is going to make him believe, give him a false sense of security, and then when he step it up, he'll put it on him. See, what people don't realize is as the amateurs, Tank wasn't the big knockout guy. He he, he was he was more of a he was more of a boxer in the amateurs. Like he could really box and hit angles, and like Tank was actually not a knockout guy like that. Once he got bigger, right, and cause he's naturally a big guy, he can sweat down to this weight class, but he's got power. And I was like, man, he hit like a middleweight to be at this light of weight. Like I'm like, if this guy can continuously make this weight, he's gonna be a problem for anybody in this weight division. And he's pretty damn smart, too. Like you said, he's in there with a plan. He's not just on the, where you down in the body and knock you out, and I don't care if I get hit. He's smart with it, especially when he faces these bigger fighters. You know, he, he's smart. He doesn't, he doesn't sit there and get stuck on. Now, there's a couple times, you know, as a prospect to a contender where he may have gotten hit too many times. Well, we see that all, all the time with guys like that. But ever since he's been on that contender, you know, higher level, he has fought a lot smarter, and I, I don't think people give him enough credit for it. I think they just think he is just that looking for a knockout, but it's it's a different looking for the knockout. You know, he's also can be busy. He's also trying to win rounds after the first couple. You know, it's yeah, I agree. You know, back to that, um, you know, being a big fight and people being hyped for this. He, I mean, beyond the, the Instagram follows and all that, that run – on that, that Damian Lillard, Ryan Garcia, Gatorade commercial, that run that that had, I mean, that shit oh, played yeah. for months and months and months, and you know, during NFL, NBA, like, that has to have oh, played yeah. into it a little bit. Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, that's the thing. It's You can sell a fight and don't even care about the fighters' records. That's what they're saying. Like, the records don't even matter anymore. It don't matter who's undefeated, who they fall. It's a, the internet want to see it. They want to see it. They just put it together, and that's how people are now. They just want to see a fight. And well, right in the now, combination of they're both big punchers and they're undefeated, that sells the casual. Oh, they both haven't lost, and they both got like when you Google that shit, they do have highlight reel knockouts, both of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. Even though they were like, you know, it was. Uh, you know, basically a, a a stay busy fight or a look good fight, but you know, with Ryan Garcia, you gotta hope that he's gonna show up. You know, for the fight, he's a guy that pulls out of fights. Um, you know, we've seen him get injured doing training camps, freakish stuff. So you you know, and it's not like he wants to pull out of a fight. I really believe he wants to fight. And that's why right. people are like, man, we don't believe this kid. But if you're a guy that consistently get injured in camp, you know, how are how are you going to do the biggest fight of your life? They just can't move the date, you know, for this fight. Tickets are being sold. Yeah. People are doing stuff. So you're going to have to probably come That's what he was saying about then, that tune-up, you know. That's exactly why he said he didn't take the tune-up so he didn't mess up his hand or something. Yeah, you know, he he's somebody who wants to make money fast. So he's like, look, I got to go now before I, you know, mess up something. And my thing is... Yeah, he's not going to be 37 guy, years old boxing. Not in yeah, a, you know, maybe it, exhibition it or something. Like, yeah, it doesn't seem like 
he can fight through pain. So if he gets injured in this fight, how much is he going to tough the fight out? Or will he cave, you know, in the fight? Be like, oh, I hurt my hand, you know, I couldn't go on. I didn't want to damage it any further. So I just say, you know, stop the fight. We'll do a rematch or something. But I damaged my hand, you know. So you got to think about that because psychologically, he's somebody that quits. And that's how Canelo and them looked at him and was like, this kid's got an opportunity and this kid's blowing it, you know, like. He he comes into the camp, you know, he barely works out. He does a little flash sessions, and then he leaves. And they was like, that's not how we train here. You know, like, so Canelo's like, this is why, you know, Reynoso, Eddie's not going to be available to you that much because he doesn't see you really focusing on that. You're focused more on the Internet. You know, when the Internet camera's on, then you want to work. But when the camera's off, you know, you're blowing off dates, you know, like, oh, man, um, I got this shoot today, man, so I'm not going to be in a day, but uh, I got the next one. You know, and it's, you know, for somebody whose who time is dedicated when Canelo's got to fight, you know, Canelo's fighting, that's his priority. <laughs> you're definitely not the yeah. priority. Yeah, blame so, him, you know? Yeah. So now the other fight that makes sense, because this is a fight that's proven to be, okay, this is the match that should happen. You know, you got David Benavidez versus the guy who I want to see win, Caleb Plant, because I just feel he's the better person. <laughs> but I just don't think he could be, I don't, I don't think he could beat David Benavidez. But as a fighter, I like Caleb Plant, man. I I really do. You know, he he, he works hard. He he does it the right way, and you know, I just like I just don't believe he could beat David Benavides. But I didn't think he was gonna beat the guy from Colombia either. So I was like, whoa. Yeah, so he I was, was like, yeah, yeah, he was super underdog because I was like, man, he's gonna run out of gas, and the guy. But is going to stop him, you know, and then he he got the knockdowns. I was, wow, I was stunned. But, and David Benavides' last fight, he fought a tough guy. Uh, what was his name? Uh, I think it was Gabriel. Uh, he fought uh, Gabriel, remember? David Benavides fought Gabriel. Yeah, like uh, to get his first belt, you're saying? Yeah, Ronald yeah, when he called Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, was the that was the guy he really lost to. And, and Gabriel, because he came out strong on Gabriel. But Gabriel gave him the business. And I said, whoa, this is telling me. He he showed some styles. Like, he confused. He, he, he weathered those flashy punches from Benavidez. And he exposed a lot of flaws. See, David is a big guy. He's always been the fat kid. So everybody, but his father is a martial artist. And Jose was the main prospect fighter, you know. And shouts out to him for Creed Three. He had a pretty big role in Creed Three. I thought it would be a smaller role for Jose Benavidez, but he actually had a pretty good role. And like Terry Crawford, heavyweight in that. I haven't yeah, seen it yet. Did he, he play a heavyweight? Yeah, he was the heavyweight champion. 
Felix Chavez. <laughs> so, yeah, it was quite interesting because Creed had won and retired as champ. So he vacated the titles and he went into promoting. So his fighter was Felix Chavez from his uh, gym. So Creed's retired for three years now, you know. So this is the heavyweight champion, but he hasn't really made any money yet. So they had the fight going on with him and Drago that they were getting ready to make. Uh, That was going to be the big money fight. And then, you know, his buddy comes out of jail and, he he's no fights ever. You know he was a prospect. Uh, Jonathan yeah, Major he got like a shot out of nowhere. <laughs> you know that here's the thing. That's the thing. He's like, I want a shot. He's like, whoa, wait a minute, it don't work like that. Like, <laughs> but then some things <laughs> happened. Yeah, he was like, but I did 18 years in jail, you know, and you know, and you know, I served my time. I put the work in too. And he's like, hey, well, this guy deserves this shot. He's the champ. I can't just put you in there. So he made him the sparring partner for with David Benavidez, and then they, they get into it and sparring, and next thing you know, you know, he's like, look, I told you what I want. I want the shot at the title. I want to fight him. He's like, I want, he's like, man, look, I'm working as hard as I can. I'll try to help you out, but he hasn't, he hasn't even had a fight. He fought in 18 years, but he was like the number one ranked amateur before he went to jail. And oh, okay, so at least he had some experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he was, he was the top later. prospect. He taught okay. Creed. Creed used to carry his oh, bag. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, I that was, okay. Now I get yeah, the storyline. Yeah, they were in the group home together, and, you know, he was the top boxing prospect. He was older than Creed. So, you know, and uh, he was the one that was the number one ranked national champion and he was trained Creed and then you know they got into an incident and Creed ran and then he went to jail and did 18 years so after that you know he comes back and it's the first time he's seen him in 18 years so Creed's feeling the guilt of maybe I owe him something you know like I gotta do something for my guy you know like but it's like I got to protect my fighter who I'm promoting. You know, like we got a big money fight here, and Creed is super rich, you know, got the big house. He's, he's retired, and, he, and he's like, man, why did you give it all up? You know, like, uh, like why did you carry this in for a suit? You know, <laughs> he's like, look, man, I left the game of boxing. Boxing didn't leave me. You know, this, this is a, something I could do, you know, pass it on, so. That was basically the storyline, and some things happened, and I'm not going to tell that part, but some things happened at least, and next thing you know, he ends up getting a shot So for the heavyweight title. First fight ever, <laughs> heavyweight title shot. Against, not uh, even Jake Paul got that shit. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it was crazy how he got it, but that fight is amazing. I said, my goodness, Jose Benavidez versus him. I'm like, I would have paid to see this. And then Showtime Boxing did it. So they set it up like a real fight. And this is the first movie ever to use IMAX camera. So you watch it, to watch it in IMAX is amazing. So I got invited for the preview, you know, uh, like Michael B. Jordan and – 
his guys, like they watch some videos and stuff I've done. So, uh, and then for boxing, I got the invite. So they showed them they were so plugged in, like Keenan Coogler, Ryan Coogler. They like my Black Panther thing, so they follow me on social media. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Keenan Coogler and uh, his team and Michael B. Jordan, them, they were all connected. The fact that I'm connected with boxing and stuff, so they watched some of my videos on YouTube, and I didn't my even know they did that. <laughs> but... That just goes to show you, you never know who's watching. <laughs> That's right. So they they saw like a breakdown I did or a post fight or something. But I, anyway, I got an invite and I do the movie reviews and stuff. So it's only obvious, you know, like a boxing guy got an invite to a boxing premiere. And then I put the clip on there where you was thanking everybody. And we were the first ones to see it in the IMAX. We saw it in uh, IMAX and then the 4DX. And he was like, man, you guys are going to be the first guys to see it. You know, my first directorial debut, you know. So it was Yeah, they destroyed the box office, too. They destroyed the box office. Oh, yeah, because it was finally a movie that it actually had a lot of heart. It's it's weird because this is like every time a lot of people's first time watching Creed, and they're watching three. I'm like... Right. I mean, this is the third one. Like, yo, yeah, yeah, but I, I wanted to see this one. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back and watch the other ones. I'm like, do you know how you just screwed up the story now? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you don't know. It was everywhere, though, I'll tell you that. That marketing run they had, man, that, it was everywhere, dude. They did a hell yeah, of a they were. That and that's crazy that Ant-Man has all this, like, $100 million budget and marketing. I right. never saw it. I said, I never saw that money, that marketing dollars that they spent. I was like, I paid right. more marketing for Creed Three <laughs> than I everywhere. did for Ant Man and the Wasp. And that's a Marvel movie. Right. Yeah, they did a hell of a job, man, because it was literally everywhere. I mean, that thing, you couldn't oh, look yeah. left and look right. Um, but, what's up with yeah, Gary man? What's up with Fury? I mean, golly, every other day, you know, Tyson's talking about this, talking about that. Usyk comes back, talking about this, talking about that. Um, now they say, oh, we got a done deal. Now they got, they, they're still haggling. Um, it just feels like it's not going to happen April 29th, like it's going to get pushed back or something. I don't think it's going to happen April 29th. Uh, I think they're building it up, just getting the people excited. Sure. But I think they're going to uh, – because uh, April 29th is not going to be a date they can use because that's actually the date for the uh, the the Tank Davis fight. So I think they got April 29th. Well, they got 22nd, so, but still. Oh, they got the 22nd? Oh, okay. Yeah. Because everybody still, wants to get out of the way of May 5th. Right. Because that's like right. Canelo's day. So nobody, everybody wants to try to drain the money before Canelo hits. Right, yeah, yeah. And this is what, you know, top rank was complaining about what Al Heyman was doing to the game by putting all their fights on pay-per-view. But that was the reason why they were doing it is because Showtime didn't have the money. They had cut the budget tremendously and with the boxing program. So 
a lot of these fights were going on pay-per-view. So once they start putting all those fights on pay-per-view, Al was saying, we don't have to do a million homes. We could do 200, 300,000 and then pay, that'll pay for the fight, and then the fighters get their money on the back end, and they'll be able to get their money that, that way. So, yeah, you know, they can Especially have to guarantee. Especially with the app where yeah. they don't have to share with the cable companies as much as they used to. That makes a big yeah, difference. That's why cable companies are going to start charging more. It's already happened. Everything's going up now. And this is what happens with inflation. Like, it just starts from gas, and then everything else starts flying up. And now they got new rules. Prices are going up. Netflix is almost 20 bucks. So, like, Netflix used to be, like, dollars. Now it's, like, it's almost 20 bucks. The more they spend, the more they're going to start eventually changing. Like, the zone is now saying, hey, sign up for the zone pay-per-view, and you'll get this. I'm like, that price hike like, was crazy, though. I've never seen a yeah. price hike like that, so, you know. Like, how are you going <laughs> to price hike it so quick? They didn't even give us – the people that have been grandfathered in way back when, they didn't yeah. even give us – they, they, they had a new price that went from 100 to 150 a year – Last year, they didn't even give us a full 12 months, and they damn near double it again. It's crazy. Yep, and that's what they're doing now. All of this, we're going to give you boxing for free. We're like, yep, until they start charging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. It's crazy, especially over here. The thing's never even had a million uh, subs over here. It's like... How are you gonna double your prices? I don't. It's just crazy. Dude. It just. I think old boy behind it was like, you guys gotta at least. I gotta see a profit in here. I gotta see something because uh, this is this is crazy. Like the other stuff and in Japan and in other parts of the world, like three four other countries, they're doing really good. They got the soccer rights. They got all that shit. But here, it's like, man, it's uh, it's rough. Um, any yeah, other that's what I like you... about the zone. That's what I like about the zone is I can touch my soccer. I can watch my all my like a lot of my soccer games. I was like, oh, I can get caught up. Then they got like their their fights overseas, like all the fights in like they have fights in like uh, Ireland and like the, like McGowan fight, man. I was in Gallagher. Jesus Christ, that was a rip off. Yeah, I said McGowan won that fight. I mean, yeah, they gave him a draw, but that was bullshit. <laughs> that was bullshit. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Yeah, no, and they did. Yeah, they thought Gallagher was gonna destroy him. What did you? How did you score it? Uh, I actually didn't score it. Score it, but there's not many rounds you could get. You just couldn't. I mean, scorecard, I'm looking at the scorecards right now. Yeah, 76-76 for two of them, and then 77-75. I mean, that's the crazy thing. The only scorecard went against them, too. Like, there was two draw scorecards, but the other card went to, it's like, what? Like, at least give the majority draw to McGowan. Yeah, that was bad. That, that one was bad. And Yoka, Yoka's done. He's already been done, but Tony Yoka... I mean, 
he, he's just done. He's done. You know, hey, good good luck and all that, but yeah, he's done. He's done. He, he looked like shit again. Carlos Cockham was just winging right hands at you know any any which way. Um, and then this weekend we got Gilbert Ramirez facing Gabe Rosado at 175. Now, I mean, hey, I love me some oh. Gabe, but he's going up in weight. Yeah, I don't know how he's going to look at this higher week because I don't know how he's going to be able to take these shots. I mean, he lost to to Shane Mosley Jr., dude. You know what I'm saying? I I understand Gilberto just got done losing. Okay, fine. Get a little comeback fight. But this, uh, you know, it's just I don't like the matchup, man. It's kind of cool. Well, I mean, this is a matchup. It's a matchup for Jimenez to look good. Um, it's going to be a good – I mean, Gabe's going to give you a fight. But I just think – Yeah, yeah, you're right. It'll be action-packed. Right. Right. It'll be action, but Jimenez is going to win. But I think that his size will be the difference in this, too. Because I don't think Gabe oh, – you know, Gabe, He's a huge Gabe's been in there with big guys. And this right. is why I try to advise a lot of fighters like to do that. Like, I get in there with middleweights. That's not good for you. <laughs> that's not really yeah, exactly. Guys think that's really good. That's not really good for you. It's like, what are you proving? You getting in there with a heavyweight, taking hits from a heavyweight? That's only lessening right. you <laughs> for what you got to go up against. I'll be like, uh-huh. I'll fight guys. That's the size of the guys I got to fight. <laughs> I'm not getting in there with anybody. <laughs> right. <to do> <laughs> That doesn't make sense because I'm like, you're, yeah, you're really see, hurting yourself. You know, fighting a taller guy, you know, sparring a taller guy, okay, that's a little different. But like you said, we hear that a lot from trainers. Oh, I put him in three-way classes above. It's like, well, those guys probably aren't that good then. Yeah, that's not normally good. Like, unless you like, going light and just giving them some work because ain't no sparring guys in there or whatever, nobody to spar with, then he's going to give them some light work and you can put them in there with him. Right. With a guy who's taking it easy, but if it's like a, a guy you don't even know, you don't put him in there with a, a guy like that. He can get seriously hurt, and then you know, then what you got? So when Gabe been in there, like man, I'd have fought two hundred pounders. I'd have been in the ring my whole life fighting big guys. So there's nothing for me. This is walking apart for me to fight. I'd be like, right. oh well, <laughs> that's telling me a lot right now. That's just those two hundred pounders and you sparring and fighting with them. They took a lot out of you. And then you from Philly, so I already know how they fight. They kill their fighters in the gym. Yeah, right. And then, oh, my God. And then hope they got yeah, some no, left right. for the fight. You should see them in the gym, though, Carson. You should see them in the gym, though. Oh, my goodness. You know, he's like, <laughs> All right, dude. But can you get him out of the gym? Can he make it to fight night? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I, I applaud Gabe. You know, he was in the first three movies, you know, um, he lost in that one too, but but the thing is, <laughs> he wasn't even he winning in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's in the first three movies and he lost. Yeah, but yeah. it was a good fight. Yeah, he looked good no, I like in that Gabe one. A lot. Because, I like Gabe a lot, but it's just yeah, because I understood the point where, where he came from. He's a guy that right. couldn't really he couldn't really fight like the rest of these guys who got sponsorships. They got a promoter, so all they got to do is yeah. focus on boxing. Like, he had to go to work. Right. You know? 
yep. and do a job, and then after he get off of work, go to the gym and start training, you know, for fighting. And be the opponent. So, you know, you have to be the opponent almost every fight, too. Exactly. That's so that's, he had it a rough way. He was like, man, you know, if I had to do nothing but just train, imagine how good I could be. You know, like, he's just like, man, I just wish I had that opportunity because I know I could have been better. But I don't have enough time that that I could really put into it because I got to go to work, you know. So when he got to the point where he got a promoter and stuff, but I was like, he's already been in so many fights, like knockout, drag-out fights, you know, and and it just took a lot out of his career, I believe. Yeah. But, man. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. It just, it's a weird, like, being a gatekeeper is one thing, but going up and wait like that and being a gatekeeper in that moment, eh, I just hope he doesn't get hurt. Um, yeah. Any other uh any other items you want to talk about, sir? Uh, no, nothing too much right now. That's all I had on the plate. I've just been ripping and running, <laughs> doing a lot. i got to, like, DVR everything sometimes. I'm like, man, I just could catch everything live. <laughs> I know. I, man, I'm watching it an hour before the, sh- the show starts sometimes trying to catch up. Yep. Yep. So we got to do what we got to do. We got to grind it out. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate yep. so you calling in tonight. Because I was in the live stream, and I was telling them, like, hey, I'm going on the Rope It Up Live. <laughs> but come check me out. <laughs> so, well, I appreciate yeah, so it, man. When you, you text me, oh, yeah, I'm glad you texted me. Because when you text me, uh, when you had hit me up and texted me, I yeah. was uh, I was like, still in the middle of that live stream, yeah. So that right. that was perfect. So I'm like, we get everybody there, and hopefully they all rolled over here. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm so. locked in a lot better on Tuesday nights now. My schedule, so I'll be doing it more consistently on Tuesday night. Just a heads up. Okay, that's cool. We got a date locked in Tuesday night. Tuesday night Friday, USA Boxing. Toe-to-toe Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Yeah. Well, you have yourself a good right, night. Thanks for having and, me on, uh, man. Appreciate it, as usual. Who, who, do, you, who do you like, uh, you know, the Final Four is popping off, dude. Who, who are some of the teams that stand out to you to, to win the whole chip? For the NBA? Nah, the NCAA. Oh, NCAA? Tourney. Ooh. Yeah, the big dance. Oh, that's hard. Um, yeah, there's a lot of – there's not the one or two just dominant teams. There's a lot of t- – you could probably go to six or eight teams that have a legit shot. You could probably make it to like eight to ten teams that you're like, they got a shot at the final four. It may be like yeah. a one seed, one seed, four seed, three seed type stuff, you know? Yeah, they're going to try to sneak Duke up in there. <laughs> right, but I don't see, I don't see them making it. Uh, West Virginia, West Virginia could be a dark horse. I definitely think there's gonna be some dark horses that get in. I like Marquette too. Yeah, They're not I mean, a dark horse, of. but I like Marquette. I think Marquette's got a chance too. I picked them to cover the five, so <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I picked him to cover the five. I was like, oh, Marquette by five? Absolutely. <laughs> so I'll, I'll All right, see buddy. how my best is. Yeah, thanks for having me on, buddy. Appreciate it. All right, man. Good talking to you. Have a good night. You too. All right. Peace. All right. That was Carcino. Carcino for life. My Midwestern buddy. Long time. That's the thing. A lot of people say stuff about Sino every which way. You can have your own opinion. But in this boxing game behind the scenes, it can get real funky. The people that you think are cool, really not. Um, But, you know, me and Carcino have known each other for a long, long time. We've had many conversations, you know, off, off this podcast stuff. And uh, sometimes we just sit back and reminisce and tell stories. It's like, man, remember this? Remember that? Remember this? Um, so, yeah, thanks, Carcino, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, I think that, I mean, if Fury wants that big, 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 big money, why, why is he, I just don't understand why he doesn't push back the Saudi stuff. Now, maybe Saudi Arabia has some shit already lined up, like Wilder you know, Ruiz or Wilder and do who, who the fuck knows. So maybe they already have some shit and he doesn't want to wait till July or August or, or something like that. I don't know. You know, I have no clue. Um, it always, I just, I, maybe they just don't think it's a big enough fight for him or something. I have no clue. It's always, it's always been weird to me. Now you could say, well, shit, he doesn't want to wait. It's going to be a year now since he's been in the ring. That's fair. But if we're be since we're on the topic, you know, Usyk's only fought. I mean, by the time they fight, it only you know fought once. Uh, well, one, he hasn't fought since August, right? And then two, you know, it took them about eleven. I heard Eddie Hearn saying, you know, the the Usyk Joshua stuff didn't drag out. Dude, the the rematch was eleven months later. <laughs> but I'll say this: they weren't out there. Uh, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I still don't think the April 29th date is going to stick. Um, and maybe that's what they're figuring out right now. Um, maybe he's just going to fight that date no matter what, and then they're gonna it, it's going to get pushed till deeper in the summer. I don't know. But I, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on that shit, to be honest with you. I just don't. Um, yeah, but it is a light weekend. Like I said, Jean Pascal takes on that Michael – Ifert or whatever. Like I said, I've seen him fight twice. I don't think a whole lot of him. Now he could win the fight. But and Jojo Diaz uh, is taking on Mercito Hesta. Um, Oscar Gerardo, I think it is, and Alex Martin. That could be a competitive fight on that card. Um, and that's Saturday night on the zone. Whereas that, that Gilberto Rosado fight, which I, you know, I think Gilberto's going to win that one. Um, but that that other one, the Sean Pascal, that one's on Thursday night. And like I mentioned, I think at least once, maybe twice, that, you know, they did, uh, they picked it up. That ESPN Plus did pick that puppy up. So, um, so that that's cool. That'll work for me. I mean, it is what it is. I'm not big on it or anything. And then, like we said, you know, Golovkin finally made some sort of decision to 
dropped the WBO or WBA, so now he doesn't even have a belt because he dropped them both. Um, and someone even earlier, I saw this on Twitter a little bit, but I, someone earlier when I said, when I just mentioned that Golovkin stuff, they were talking about, uh, they were talking about uh, the IBO. It's like, all right, if you want to count the IBO, count the IBO. That's all you, dude. That's all you. That is all, should I say that again, all you. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what his plan is. No clue. No clue what he's going to do. Um, we'll see, you know, uh, they, they called, um, oh, boy, against Arislandi Lara. That's the thing. The guy, it's just weird. It's on, like, not long after when, you know, the WBA gave, you know, the IBF, I think that was it, right? They just let them run with it. And it sounded like he was going to fight that dude. By the way, the um, Evelyn uh, Bermudas that was uh, that was a good fight. I did I did forget that. Um, it was a ten rounder, uh, very competitive fight. Um, I did think Ber- Bermudas did enough, but it was competitive. So I, I did someone. Someone forgot, to, or I forgot. Someone reminded me. I appreciate that. Um, some other fight news. This is kind of like, you know, Gold Boy Fight Night on the Zone. Um, Angel Acosta and Angelino Cordova, April 6th. That fight got made. Um, the ticket just went on there, April 6th at Indio Fantasy Springs. I, that, I haven't been to that venue, but it always looks really good. Oh, and then... Um, Thompson Boxing, that uh, that Papino or what was his name? Pa- Papina, Papino, and and Gonzalez, Jesus Gonzalez. That was a draw. That was a good fight. That was a good fight. I will say that. Um, <coughs> um, Angel Beltraz or Beltrain and uh, Lopez. What was his first name? Um, was it Louis? Yeah, Louis Lopez. That was a that was you know Beltron pretty much handled uh, business there. Um, oh, the fight I wanted to talk about was um, we now know that Serrano's going to be out long enough to where Kaylee, Jesus Christ, Katie Taylor is taking on um, Cameron. Um, so that that's pretty good, you know. I or more than pretty good. I like that fight a lot. That that's I mean, for a backup plan, <laughs> right? Chantel Cameron. She's she opened I actually haven't checked it lately, but she opened at a plus one forty. Um, so that was something, you know. You had to jump on that shit. Because I I had asked like that's a very good fight and like I said, a, a good uh good, you know, backup plan. Um, yeah, all scorecards had seventy Someone just asked me. All three scorecards, 75-75 in favor of Tim Um, This is Harrison. When it's time, it's time. Baby boxing is a young man's sport. Super proud of my brother and love him to death. Forever even trying to compete on the stage at the stage of his career. But it's just uh, continuing to force. Oh. But it's time we just continue to focus on pouring our heart into the youth in the community in Detroit. That was his brother. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. That, that's that's pretty dope. 
Um, Terry Harper. Uh, will this is bad left hook? Um, Terry Harper will defend their WBA super welterweight against uh, former undisputed Cecilia Brickhouse, 20th. That's on the undercard, so that's dope. There was someone actually sent me this uh, Manny Pacquiao and Salt Poppy in Mayweather KSI. Um, some people think that's real. Sean Gibbons said, nah, it's not real. Um, I don't know. I'm not, you know. I, I can understand, like, uh, <coughs> I can understand some of the interest there, but um, I'm good on that, you know what I mean, personally. I don't, I don't need to see all that. If you're into it, cool. Andy Lomachenko, MGM Grand, May 20th. Sounds like that's a done deal, according to Keith Eidick. Um, so that's pretty dope. Uh, also, somebody sent me uh, Fabian Maidana. Um, he did have a nasty-ass body shot knockout. That's a good call. I did see that highlight. I didn't watch that, that card much, but I did see it. This is Eddie Hearn. Um, he has stated that Joshua Buwati has turned down well over a mil to challenge Dimitri Bivol. Um, he believes he believes Boazzi wants to fight Dan Aziz, but Matchroom are exercising their uh, matching rights to keep him. So, um, you know, we'll see exactly where that goes. Uh, Xander Zayez unfortunately had to withdraw from his fight April 1st against Ronald Cruz. He suffered an undisclosed injury, according to Coppinger this report comes from. Um, Divas and Gonzalez, Joy Gonzalez and Jose Enrique. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be the the co-feature to Dogbo and uh, Ramirez. So uh, that sucks for him. That does suck for him. Uh, oh, that Pro Box TV, yeah. Luis Toros um, and was it Cabrera? Um, yep, I suck like. A chunk of that. I didn't see it all. Um, oh, Eddie Hearn's talking about Connor Ben. The Manny Pacquiao Connor Ben. I've heard like, oh yeah, it's probably going to happen, and eh, not really. But he said Eddie Hearn has declared that Connor Ben will return in a massive fight in June, which is now close to being signed. He did not confirm whether it's Manny Pacquiao, but they said there's multiple offers from the Middle East stage. He said, uh, Ben Pacquiao, he said that on IFL TV. Um, that fight really doesn't do much for me, you know, but I, but I get it. You know, I get why they make that or whatever. Um, so, yeah, you know, I have heard some rumors in multiple outlets. Well, not outlets, but I've heard some rumors that seem like uh, Isak Cruz may fight uh, Cabrera, that Giovanni Cabrera. Um, and that'd be a good fight. That's a dude who, uh, well, his best win, you know, his last win, uh, I think it was last summer against Gabriel Flores Jr., undefeated. Or, yeah, he wasn't undefeated, but, um, no, he was undefeated, yeah. And he beat him cleanly. I mean, he beat him, those scars, it actually here, happened here in Grand Casino Hinkley, up north there, and uh, out, on the outskirts of Minnesota there. And, I mean, 
uh, outskirts of Minneapolis. Yeah, he beat him handily. Like, the scorecards were, like, super one-sided. So I would definitely like to see that fight. That would be a good fight for him. And that would be like, okay, cool. Um, I did see uh, Ramirez. Yeah. Good old Rick. Slick Rick over there calling for uh, Ramirez's man- manager calling for a, a super six. We need a super six at 140. It would be much, uh, you know, must-see TV. Zapata, Prograde, Taylor, Ramirez, and Barboza. You know, he's calling for, like, a super six, man. We should get it. You know, and it's just funny because, you know, as we know, you know, and I get why Ramirez didn't join that shit, but, you know, he, uh, you know, they didn't go to that tournament. Dude. And it worked out good because he got a different – you know, a couple fights and ended up getting the other belt and all that, but it's just like, come on, dude. Uh, but this is what he was tweeting. He said, we can't just make a four. We can't. Oh, why can't Jesus Christ? Hold on. Let me see this tweet. That was cut off. Okay. Why can't we just make a Four Kings deal with Ramirez, Program Taylor, and you guys figure out the fourth at 140? Have them each fight. Um, fight each other twice and sell it as a to one net sell it to a network or two and let the networks each switch off unified champ undisputed you know it's just like didn't you just got done saying that you guys have the you guys are the a side because you got a network and all that shit it's just kind of weird oh here's <laughs> Jake Paul I, talking about his loss to, to Fury and this is when you know he's joined the boxing for real. He said, I woke up in a panic like, fuck. You have two weeks of testosterone built up, and so a wet dream happens. It makes your legs weak. I think it's one of the many reasons why I lost. Um, Some people, if they just stop, you know, some people, maybe they just haven't gone that long, like tried to discipline yourself and got gone that long, but and so when they hear wet dream, I'm not saying it's an excuse for that. I'm saying wet dreams in general. Um, that can be a real thing. But as far as that, that's on you. Like, come on. So you're the only boxer that has wet dreams if you don't do something for a Some dudes cut it off for a month. So, I mean, come on, dude. That's some weak shit. <laughs> that's some fucking weak shit, dude. That is so weak. Um, so I'm getting finagled here for this uh, rehydration stuff. Okay, so, like I said, we're going to talk about this. This is what I'm going to close with. Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, the rehydration, the catch weight, all that shit, right? So I'm not a big fan of catch weights. Now, we don't have the depth we used to have. Sure, there's some depth in certain divisions, but I'm saying as a whole. So we have seen more of these catch weight fights than the last, whatever, 15 years, whatever, right? We have, probably a little longer. We have seen them. Sometimes they work out great. Sometimes it's like one of the sides is getting fucked, but it's big money for them. Um, like I said, sometimes there's an in-between thing, like the Liam Smith and Eubank Jr., where you're like, man, if he can handle that 158 or whatever he had to weigh in, he's much bigger, he can fuck him up, but you know, it's a risk going down, just like it's a risk fighting a bigger guy for Liam Smith. 
So the shit happens, right? I'm not a big fan of catchweight fights, but I get it. I'm not going to pick and choose when I'm mad at them. I'll say that. Um, as far as the rehydration clause, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of rehydration clause in general, the way boxing set up under the just how it is. Um, now, we know the IBF does the uh, uh, within 10% of your weight or whatever. Is it 10 pounds or within 10%? I think it's – I forget. But anyway, they do it. They, they change the rules, um, you know, for uh, um, undisputed and I think uh, unifications as well. So I'm not a big fan of it as it stands. However, if boxing, and it doesn't seem like boxing is ever going to go back the same day, um, although I understand some of the stuff with the same day, how why they changed and, you know, dehydration the day of and all that, should I remember? I, I'm not a professional boxer, but, you know, as a teenager, I did wrestle, and, you know, I had to weigh in at like 5 o'clock and start wrestling at 7, so that night. So, and like I said, it wasn't on an elite level. It wasn't on a professional, you know, high-level D1, you know, Iowa, Penn State, Minnesota, and shit like that. I'm not saying that. But um, I'll say this. Before I get into the details, I I wish there was rehydration. If you're going to stay with, which I assume they will, stay with the day before, take, take this fight out of it, right? Take it out. I'm saying overall, I do wish that there was a rehydration because some dudes, and I'm not even saying Ryan Garcia's like this, uh, because out of his own mouth, he said he doesn't put on a bunch of weight. But some dudes can literally put on 13, 15, 18 pounds. Now, you know, like Jared Hurd, like there are some guys that you're like, Jesus Christ, like you just put on, you're 17 pounds heavier, even if it's like 12 but they have jeans on and shit and, you know, shirt and all that, whatever. Because those, those, those next day weigh-ins don't always tell the story that they used to do a lot more on HBO and Showtime and all that. We would always see the weight, but they at least gave, you know, give you a good gauge. But if you can put on that kind of weight, that is fucked up. And, hey, it's legal, so I'm not, I'm not ripping anybody for doing it. I'm not calling you a weight bully. I just think if you're really worried about health of fighters, it's fucked up. So there should be right rehydration clauses. There, sh- there should be. Now, what would just fix it, though, would just do the morning of weighing. And it gets you all day to just properly fill your body with fluids and food. You don't go crazy, but you do it. Um, that's what I wish it was. I wish they'd go back the same day and just do it in the morning and just be done, you know, personally. So would I like to see rehydration? Yeah, but I'm talking about a blanket. You know, once you get, whatever, top 15 or some shit, it's a blanket for everybody, not just for the A-sides and shit like that. Um, now, when it comes to this, right, so the catch weight was there because it originally had Ryan Garcia after, you know, he, his last two fights, he did go over the lightweight limit. He had a long layoff, then fight to go, right, and he didn't, they didn't, didn't weigh in. At 135. And a lot of times when there's no belt, you don't have to weigh in the exact weight. They give you that pound and shit, but um, kind of agree on that. But then his next fight against Fortuna, they 
finalized Fortuna with seven weeks to go, and they were going to make it at 35 or maybe 36, whatever. They were going to make it there, but Fortuna wanted the more weight. And then after that fight, uh, Ryan did come out and say, I'm a 140-pounder now. That's what he said. So he's like, I want Tank next, but it has to be at 140. That's what he said out of his own mouth. But he did come back at it. He came right back not long after uh, because this is when, you know, Mayweather was still in the in the scene with Tank. Uh, he said, nah, dude, it's at 35. And now Tank has fought at 140 before, as we know, with the Barrios fight. He fought big-ass fucking Roley at 35. Roley's big, and he puts on extra weight. He didn't there was no rehydration there, um, right? But it wasn't a catch weight either. Um, but so right away, 140, then, and, and, and literally, you have it time stamped, July 20, this summer, July 22nd, sorry, last summer, this summer, July 22nd, this is what he said. Because Ryan's like, to Floyd, basically, he's like, it's any weight, any weight, any time, any place, there's your answer, Floyd. Oh, yeah, you can get it, too. He throws it there. But that's what he said. And then he also said, let's hear the excuse now. So he said he could make 135. Okay? That's what he said. And lately, and let's just go over some of this shit, right? Because he did say that another thing when he was talking about the, the rehydration and all that, he said another thing was that they agreed to 138, then two weeks later, they said they were not doing it unless it's 136. Uh, there was a, a lot of things that hit last minute. Um, I don't even find strength in my weight or anything. I grow, I grow the stake with the moment. Um, so he said he's not going to be, you know, that he's not going to, uh, you know, the drain thing, whatever. But, um, but that last minute shit, maybe the last minute then, but it wasn't last minute like two weeks ago. Because we already knew about the catch weight of 136 back back in November. Um, so overall, once you, when you're the A side and the B side, which he is the strongest B side he could fight, I'll say that for sure. But once you bring catch weight into it, you said to the public 135, right? Like I said, he didn't he didn't he didn't do the the, the weight hydration. The rehydration, the dehydration, he didn't do that to Rowley, okay? So, had he just agreed to 35, we don't know for a fact if the, re, the rehydration clause would be in there. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. He has talked about how when he saw him, he's not as big as he thought he was. There was that thing where there was a picture of him looking big, Ryan, and, and Gervonta's like, what the hell? You know, so obviously there was some worry there, but... If you're bringing up a catch weight and you refuse to go 35, well, as the A side, which Tank is, that rehydration clause sometimes is not too far behind. I said this earlier, though. It's bullshit to say every catch weight has a rehydration because that's not true at all. That's not true at all. But, you know, you did say that you were going to make that weight, okay? Now, here's a clip. It's kind of... Here's a clip. Someone sent it to me, and it's kind of interesting because he had a couple different things to say um, of late about this weight. So he's two different types of things. Listen up. Here, I'll play it for you. 
what you walk like? What you walk like? One fifty, one fifty two. I don't think it's gonna be a problem because uh, I feel good. I, I don't like to gain that much weight anyways after the weigh So I, I, I pretty much walk around in the ring at one forty eight. So one forty six won't be too much different. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen this. Like, a lot's getting made to me much about nothing about the fight being Chris Mannix revealed that the fight's going to be a catchweight. And yeah. much to do about nothing, I felt like, is it just because of you guys both coming off long layoffs and, you know, so you guys don't have to really be pressing your body to make 135? I mean, yeah, this was agreed to long before the, uh, the contract was signed. Like, this was already discussed way before we signed the contract. And it really has nothing. I know I have to make 135. Uh, I'm on track to make 135 right now. You know, I'm, I'm six pounds away, seven pounds away. So it's like it's really nothing. Uh, so the, the, that's the thing. It is what it is. Like, you know, why not get advantages? But they're going to go right back at you. So I'm not going to separate tank. We've seen guys go up in weight like Canelo and put Kovalev on a, on a weight restriction. A rehydration. We've seen it. We've seen he did that with Danny Jacobs because Jacobs had gone over that weight uh, and thrown the belt away for uh, for the IBF on the Golovkin. He, he, he took the fine. He's like, or wait, I'm just going to go 173. I don't care. I know there was some heavy stuff tied to that contract, but he did put the rehydration. He didn't have a catch weight though. So we've seen it. It is what it is. Peace. 